Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Welcome, 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 everybody. Hopefully the mic is working. I'm getting a draw off of the headphones here. Things seem, things, things seem okay, but maybe they're not, so let me know. Um, I reconnected everything, and I'm having some issues here with the desktop, but mostly with the memory. I don't think it's with the, uh, the audio card, but um, the desktop is going to be rebuilt in a month. I'm actually going to schedule it when I know that I'm done with everything <laughs> for for um, all of my university work and kind of everything is like behind me. Um, and I can have a week or so, you know, for the that to get work done um, and then bring it back down here and, and kind of set it up for what I, what I want to do. So um, I don't want to give up on it yet so I'm keeping keeping it going even though it's down to one fan is working <laughs> so it heats up although it doesn't get very hot down here but yeah um, I do have my my laptop um, which I could press into service and I might need to do that but yeah so how sound is good so far well thanks Andrew sometimes um, I think I just have to re it's USB so I just have to reconnect every once in a while and also the system isn't at its strength right now. Um, meaning I've got, yeah, I've got a fan out and, and so this was custom built again eight years ago and I don't have to replace everything, um, but there are some things that need to be updated. Plus uh, I do have a, um, at least one RAM card that is starting to give up the ghost on me. It's starting to throw the, the break code at the end. So never a good sign. It's one, it is one the Aztec patriarch. So, hey, Juan. Hey, buddy. And it's bacon. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. It's Solitude Surfer. It's Zippy. It's Toy Town. Oh, it's Andrew. Wow. Good to see everybody here. I appreciate that. So the show's doing um, doing well. So, yeah, we've kept the Monday format going here for, I think, pretty much all of the year. Maybe missed one or two Mondays because of other things. Um but uh, the number of subscribers is up, and also I'm getting closer to the 4,000 for the watch hours, so that is all looking good. So yes, 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 good, good, good. Um, so a few things that, a few updates here. One is it is it was 51 degrees today, although like that is a misleading number. Like 51 degrees sounds and feels really warm here in January. <laughs> in May, that is cold. It, it was overcast and I was out yesterday hiking. And uh, so it doesn't take too long to get to where I can hike out of town by walking through town, <laughs> if that makes any sense, um, to get to there's hills. And, and actually this is a good time of year to do it uh, because otherwise it gets grown up a little bit. Um, you know, there's wood ticks and stuff like that. So 
but we do have we do have uh, hiking trails on the where it would be the east side of town, which I live, then gets out into. It's called the Ice Age Trail. Like apparently, it goes across the entire state. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was able to get out and do some hiking, and uh, it was great. Like it was, you know, I always feel like I should be more attentive um, when I'm when I'm out hiking. Like I should I should know if I'm stepping. Oh, like this is this is an arrowhead, you know, because again, this is all Native American uh, settlement. Um, you know, we have uh, effigy mounds within you know ten miles of my house and 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 stuff like that. So, um, but I, I'm just kind of oblivious to it. We live in sandy soil, so when you when you hike, you're hiking through sand, which uh, takes up a little more energy too. But I had my winter my wool navy peacoat, military navy, you know, peacoat. It's woke chewy. So yeah, a 30 year old, which has to go into the dry cleaner, by the way. Um, but uh, but yeah, I was in over top a, a sweatshirt, a hooded sweatshirt, and I had a winter hat on. <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't I wasn't um, sweating. So. But, uh, but yeah, it's supposed to be 75 on Saturday and then get to the stretch of, you know, 70, like normal May weather. So, um, I'm hoping, but so, you know, with that said, I guess we'll, we'll see, you know, turn down my, I'm not turning down the gain. I'm just turning down my feedback into my, my headset's getting a little loud. So talking about headset and let's do a, a, a roll call here. It's woke chewy. It's woke chewy. I want to say woke chewy. Sorry about that, Chewy. Didn't mean to do that, but it was woke, Chewy. Appreciate you, buddy. Glad you're here. So our good friend, Bacon Maldito, and uh, Bacon from Inglewood, California, where they have the most recent Dismores IGA with the best deli, the best Wi-Fi, still very reasonable prices. You get a sack of subs for $4. So Dismores IGA. It's not an official endorsement by the show, but it is a passive endorsement. Dismores IGA. Inglewood, California. Welcome, Bacon. Good to see you, buddy. This is our good friend Juan, the Aztec Patriarch, coming to us from the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Juan. Um, and Juan has uh, his channel where he documents the homeless condition in um, the greater San Francisco area. Uh, really a, a brilliant, um, how should I say, way to... to capture the structural and the human condition. I know that um, it was just, you, you can find Juan on Instagram. If you're able to post links out, you know, Bacon or Juan, right? I think Juan, you have a wrench. Yeah, um, that'd be, that would be great. Um, but and Juan also was instrumental in helping me uh, get informed when I started to write the philosophy of information because he was saying, hey, like it was March of 2020 and out here and you know, San Francisco, people were selling, you know, their vehicles really, really cheap because at the start of the pandemic, nobody knew whether it be, you know, extra unemployment, government st stimulus, whatever. So people needed cash. And that's where Juan was coming in and, and picking up vehicles where he said, you know, just the tires on this thing alone are worth the asking price. And, and that really, uh, you know, was an indicator for me of holy smokes. I mean, people are really, um, uh, panicked, right, and desperate for money. And Nick Schulander was uh, was also letting me know that he bought uh, electronics, right? I, I think like a computer or a router or something. I don't know. It was probably like a four PlayStation fives or something like that. But um, 
and somebody drove these like 80 miles to him, which sounds ridiculous, right? I mean, he lives in Washington, but Washington State. But back then, gas was a dollar a gallon, right? So, you know, you wrap up a sale and it's like, okay, if you can give me a hundred dollar cash for, you know, this computer, this laptop, I'll drive it to your door. So, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but one, um, actually I wrote up a whole segment. I didn't include it in the book. And the only reason I, and it was with other things too, that kind of were, um, there was a, a section I was going to write about like the two, three weeks when people are just trying to sell anything, but I took it out of the book because it didn't really fit with the way that I put the book together, but it's a great segment. And I still probably will pull that together um, and use it for a journal article or something else that I do. So I wrote about um, around me, the firewood index, right? So I heat my house of firewood and I'm done doing that now. Um, but I burn, I was crazy, like 15 plus cords this winter. And <laughs> at the end of my property, I, I put all the ash and then I will retrieve the ash when it gets to be, you know, into June and we get some a string of sunny days and, and everything dries out. And then I'll start spreading it over the lawn as fertilizer. But, but right now the neighborhood, neighborhood kids go back there and they're like, what in the world happened back here? I'm like, oh, it looks like a big fire. Like, I have no idea. Like, it's, you know, I'm back and I'm like, holy smokes. They're showing me, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. P, you know, look at, holy smokes, what happened back here? Like, I had, you know, of course, just ash <laughs> and that I kept putting out there in winter that I will now just retrieve and put on my lawn. But they, they were amazed. Like, they were just, like, scoping this out, trying to do, like, a forensics thing on it, trying to do, like, an arson investigation. I mean, they'll probably, like, string it back to me. I'll be in big trouble. But... But no, it's just, I, that's where I have a spot, you know, where I, where I kind of put everything. Of course, like, you know, we have snow in winter, so there isn't a risk of, and I don't put it out there in windy days, but but I do um, have a, a place that I put the coals. But anyway, um, so yeah, let's go um, up here to, this is uh, Andrew, sound is good so far. That's awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Still a timeless entrance. Yeah, you know, I thought about, what I would do to update that or make it a little different. I might do like an old, um, an alternate um, intro. I still like that one though. I still, I still do. There's something kind of dramatic about it. And that is, that was um, RJ um, Jones did the artwork for that, which is, um, <laughs> you know, I feature it in a lot of my uh, branded materials. So yeah. Um, I don't want to go away from it soon. Actually, it would make a great um, like T-shirt, right? I can get on spring tea with everybody else, but um, that would make a cool shirt. So I do have all the rights from that too. Um, but anyway, this is my good friend Zippy. Hey, any storms by you tonight, buddy? I've been watching the uh, national weather, and uh, I think it's getting a little spicy where you're at right now, but maybe I'm wrong with that. So... Um, but anyway, I'm wishing you well. Um, and Toy Town, hey buddy. Linux is like bad Gatorade. Gatorade, or the water sucks, right? The uh, water boy. So hard to believe that movie's been out like 30 years or something like that. So I think I've done the shout outs here to everybody. Here's a shout out to, uh, to StreamYard. So yeah, apparently. Let's go back to uh, Jim McIntosh. I'm a late little subs, IGA, nice. Ah, good. Jim McIntosh, welcome. Uh, Donovan Warlord came from here. Cool. All right. Um, 
his channel, those videos you made a month ago. Good. 15 chords, what's that? Like 4% of your total? <laughs> yeah. I, and I actually redid the lighting in that room, my fireplace room. Um, so it also is where the furnace is. It's a big room. Um, I would say it's 15 by 20 feet. My fireplace or my, my firewood room downstairs here. So, um, might even be a little bit bigger than that. I should know this. I've lived here 20 years. This is my house. But um, but yeah, and this time I changed the way that I put the wood down there. So I had these little walking paths of like 18 to 20 inches between the piles. I would say, if you remember in Indiana Jones, what was it? The Temple of, no, it was Raiders of, Raiders of Lost Ark. I don't know. It was the one where you had it going and, and the guy, he had a drink from the chalice, right? And the guy said, you chose wisely, right? where he, he approaches, he, he's coming through. I, I should know this. I just don't know it at the moment, but he's coming through and there, those big walls are up, you know, the, the granite walls. And then he, you know, I don't know. I'm doing a horrible job describing it, but you've probably seen the movie enough. And you get, you get what I'm talking about, but it was like that. You would walk through like Petra, you would walk through and uh, there's only, there's not much light down there, much natural light, especially when you stack wood within eight inches of the ceiling. So like the whole thing was just, it was just crazy. And then um, I'm crisscrossing things and making it stable because the last thing I need is a, it to collapse, right? Um, that would be a big mess. But I've done this for many, many years. I'm pretty good at it. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was insane. Um, the, uh, the way that the firewood was down there this year. It was the most I ever had. Um, but yeah. So yeah, 15 cords is is a lot. And I have about a half cord of wood total left. I probably could have burned it out. Um, so the thing is, like I like to keep a core, I like to keep a little bit of firewood in supply. Um, just if we get, you know, like a rainy 50 degree in day in June or you know, September hits a little early. And I haven't got my wood. Usually like end of September, I'll start to bring wood downstairs. But um so, but yeah, I went through a ton of wood and I have to go and, and, uh, shut down, you know, the, the, the fireplace, right. Which is the, the burner, it's just not a fireplace, not a traditional fireplace that like heats my house. So there's, it's quite a process to shut that down. I don't, I don't mind it. I actually enjoy it, but it, it will consume the better part of a day to, you know, check the flu. I have a port flu, check everything from up above check it, um, shut everything down, clean everything off, um, get all the ash out. Um, and then there's the glass windows, which take a little while to, to get those all cleaned up and stuff and then shut everything down for the season, disconnect it from the electrical source. So it's not, you know, cause it kicks in and blows heat through the house. Um, we've got a decision to make in that room. So I call it the fireplace room. Everything here is uh, utilitarian, right? So I, um, I, you know, like it's a kitchen, it's a bathroom, it's the front room, it's the, you know, and, but we have, uh, we have carpet in there and we've been debating if we should move that to like a laminate, you know, like a better laminate wood, like I did down here in the office, which made a big difference. It is so much nicer down here since last June when, you know, the carpet was ripped out after 20 years and there was a nicer laminate wood put in down here and uh, upgrade some of the lighting and stuff like that too. 
which I did in the front. Oh, the fireplace room. Anyway, I upgraded the lighting significantly in there. Um, I daisy chained um, these LED lights I got from Menards, <laughs> where I used to work when I was in college. But um, and that you know, you just flip on the switch, and I had the one that would go on live. I had it wired that way initially. And then I just daisy chain. Now they plug into each other. And it's just amazing because you can see from one side of the room to the other, which gives makes the room appear a lot bigger. And my youngest daughter immediately said, oh, this room looks a lot bigger because we only had like a couple screw and light bulbs. And I didn't really have to do much in that room. Um, now it serves as the second pantry, right? Since the pandemic, I, I have a full second pantry down there. And then also the firewood and then the furnace which reminds me I need to check the furnace filter. I've been thinking about that for a while, but um, so we have a big thick pleated filter um, on there. So uh, it's good. I just have to make, I got to change it up before too long here. Um, so let's see, as a boy, this is Jim McNash, as a boy, he's put firewood with a big heavy mall made in a factory by tradesmen bent anyway. <laughs> that made it even more difficult to control. Yeah, I used to split wood too. Um, and now like everything, I get it split, um, ahead of time, but, um, as a kid, yeah, I'd be out splitting wood and we had a mall that, that had, uh, as you would come down, it would, but bring out like two kind of teeth that would push the wood apart. Um, it was really weird and it never really worked that well either, but, uh, but yeah, I have plenty of, um, small, um, heavier axes. So if I need to uh, split something down, but typically like, you know, I'm pretty good with all of that. And then I do, there is a, a kiln, um, a drywood kiln, uh, a couple communities over and they sell their, basically they're left, whatever they cut off the edges, right? It's before it's treated. So just as it's dried, so you're not getting anything that's treated. I'm not putting anything that's treated into the burner, right? Um, but I, if I go, um, you know, they'll fill up my trunk and my lacrosse, you know, as, as it's like, as you know, it's like a huge, it's a huge trunk, right? So I just have to, uh, you know, put a, a few of those uh, carpet pad type things down when you move, like to make sure it's, you know, doesn't scuff anything. And then, um, on the bumper and it's kind of takes a while to clean up, but uh, they'll fill that thing up for like uh, 80 bucks and that'll take me through the entire winter for um, kindling. So, which basically is the equivalent of uh, when I get home and get it all out, like two big round garbage containers. Like you used to see at the end of the roads back in the seventies, you know, those garbage, like two of those of small pieces of, dried hardwood, which just work. Boom. Awesome. So really good stuff. Um, yeah. And I had my chimney rebuilt. I actually have photos of that somewhere, but two years ago, because the, the flu was fine. This poor flu, but the chimney itself had cracked. Um, so that was rebuilt completely. So we're all good here, but, uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> This is a uh, bacon to Jim, uh, not for the doc. He's clearing up an entire forest. Yeah, it's uh, we. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, three hundred square foot. That's probably about right. It might even be bigger than that. I should measure it. I don't. I think it might be bigger than twenty foot. I don't. I think the fifteen is right. I don't think the twenty foot is right though. Um, 
I, I think it's longer than 20 feet. So, you know, this house was built in 79 and this basement was then finished after the fact by the homeowner. So like all of the, everything around me was probably put here in like 1980 and it very much has that feel. This wall still needs to be finished and stuff from last year. Um, and then, you know, it's pretty, anyway, uh, he kind of just put walls up where he thought walls should be. So, um, which is okay. I, I initially thought when we moved here of knocking out the wall to my right and making that a gaming room and putting a big screen TV up. And it, it was a, it was a very viable idea. Um, there's nothing load bearing on that wall, um, that would have messed with that. So, uh, I just never did it and I won't do it now. So that was the last crusade. Yeah, you're right, Andrew. So, Anyway, going through like the, that the pet, the Petra, it actually had that feeling. One of my relatives from California came here and he had like his family and he took him downstairs and he was showing them this all this firewood because, you know, where they're at, they never had this. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's the way it is, man. So um, the Holy Grail. Yeah, when I'm down there, then I have to like fight a guy with a sword. He's much older than I am and I'm always able to defeat him. But, you know, you just have to be ready to go. So Jim is saying, yeah. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Elsa Schneider is a smoke show. Who is that? Let's do a search over here. Dr. Elsa. I should replace my keyboard too. Keyboards just aren't. Yes. Oh, yeah. From the show. Oh, my goodness. Um, Indiana Jones. Yes. Uh, yes. Wow. Um, 1920 square foot of wood. So it's wild. You know, I like to, Cameron, so hey, buddy, I like to think of it as like the the weight because all of the wood goes from my garage to my basement, which I take it down in, a, in canvas bags. So, uh, you know, I spread that out over several days. I used to do it, you know, when I was younger as a marathon thing, you know, to work till it's done. But, um, but now I take my time with that. So, um, yeah, it's not enjoyable. And, and the thing is, like, you, I can't really put, like, a podcast on and listen to it when I'm doing it because I'm going upstairs, I'm grabbing wood, and I'm going, coming back downstairs. Like, just, you lose too much, right? You don't have continuity. I'm not wearing headphones either. So, um, but, yeah, anyway, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Um, I knew the item, but not the film title. Those are pretty good. Those are great movies. And and I think like the Karate Kid came out during the same time. Like if you go back into that 1980s run of movies, like Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, like the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid kind of got mixed in there. Like that was a good stretch of movies. Rocky Four. you know, we're just not going to see that again. So it's John Rice. Hey, it's our good friend, John Rice. Welcome, John Rice. Good to see you. Good to see you, buddy. Um, it's John Rice. Doc's family will not pass from a flu blockage. This is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, I do have um, carbon monoxide monitors in the house. And even though, like, we had the, um, about 10 years ago, we had new siding, steel siding, hurricane-grade steel siding, by the way, put on the house. And when they did that, they wrapped the house in the new you know, the house wrap stuff to insulate. My, my utility bills are really low, but I, 
you know, but um, the house really isn't that air tight. It doesn't ever feel cold or chilly, but I actually appreciate that I have a little bit of airflow in the house. Um, but yeah, I'm always uh, monitoring and checking um, that where the flu is, and then I have a carbon monoxide a detector not too far from there, but never had an issue. The only, there's once in a while you gotta just kind of watch what you're doing because if there's high humidity outside, right? And you don't have hot enough fire, the the um, chimney will condense the smoke because the chimney's cold and the smoke will then sink back down and it will push out the front of the burner and that can smoke up the house. It only happens once in a while. And if it does, like, I just got to settle everybody down. Not a big deal. <laughs> There's nothing going wrong here. It's just, you know, and thankfully we do have a, a screen in porch so I can open the doors off the fireplace room and immediately, you know, get ventilation, stuff like that. So, uh, but once in a while, yeah, you got to, that's something, you know, you got to, you got to understand this whole thing of, of uh, you know, what that, what that means. But yeah, so I have a couple uh, carbon monoxide detectors, one downstairs, one upstairs. Um, so we're good. Doc was a firefighter here at one point too. So I have a fire extinguisher right around the corner, a couple upstairs. So we are here in good shape. Um, and, uh, and I live in town where we have a full-time fire department. So it's a plus happened to family four uh, or five passed away from Carmax. I was a faulty. That's horrible. That's absolutely horrible, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So really pay attention to those things. Um, this is Chrome Dome Omega. You're new here, so welcome. And hopefully you're not a bot, um, but welcome. <laughs> if you are a bot, my my bot squad will take care of you. Um, so if you're not, welcome. Doc splits wood all the time with his bare hands. It's like TJ Martin, no. So, yeah, I've got a really good setup now. And, you know, one of the things, too, is, like, I don't need to mess around with... Um, like, I can usually get a fire going the first try, right? You know, with a little bit of newspaper and whatever. And it's just kind of how you structure it and how much ash you still keep in the burner versus, like, outside. And, you know, God, by this time, I mean, I've been here 20 years. So, I mean, I've I've had to have had 3,000 fires, like, that I've had, you know. So, you, you kind of get that sense of what's going on. So, and I use welding gloves, when I'm always coming in and out of the fire. So mill scraps. Yeah, it is. So, um, and I used to, I, I worked a couple summers at a, at a, um, mill and, uh, at a kiln that did, um, drying and then did, um, edgings and, and stuff like that for, uh, for interior home stuff. And so, so yeah, and that's one thing right up, you know, and they, and they market it too. They said this, none of this has been treated. It's just been dried. Um, so, and it's really good. So yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard. That's, and of course I just want to get rid of it. Right. So you, you, you just show up and, and back up and, uh, I load it myself because like they get a little wild when they're trying to load them. Like, Hey, I don't want the car, or the bumper all like mangled up. Let me put all the stuff down and just like put the, you know, put the bins here. And once I I'll empty it and fill them up and just, you know, let you know. So. Metal or plastic? Uh, I don't know what that means. Metal or plastic? What the question there is? So, Jim Chrome Dome. Hey, Bacon. Some people talk about a knife hand. Doc has an accent. I do. And Chrome, if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. Tell all your friends, including Bacon. 
Dr. Secretly, Metal Mario on his arm day. Uh, good evening, everyone. It's our good friend, New York Outcast from New York. Good to see you, buddy. No, nothing is made to last. The older the keyboard, no. Uh, yeah. I'm using a lighted um, Logitech, which, and with a with a mouse, and they're both wired um, because I was getting too much inter interference here without having it wired. And, and both of them have kind of gone bad. They're less than a year old. So I'm just going to have to change these, these out. Um, so, yeah, that kind of sucks. But uh, monitors are doing good. I thought about changing up my, I thought about this, changing my, so I have three 27-inch monitors in front of me, which goes six feet across. It is a good setup, but I'm wondering if I should take my main monitor in front of me and switch it out to a, like a 32-inch curved monitor. Go with a bigger monitor in front of me and then push these other ones even further off to the side. I think it would work. I'm not quite sure, though, how it would be to type and do, like, that type of stuff on a curved monitor because I probably wouldn't be using it for gaming. But I really, I like, I have three monitors, but I feel that's not enough. Many times I wish I had this set up so I could stack monitors. I have to reconfigure how I have things in the back, but I could do it. I could stack and get a couple monitors up above. Um, or I want to put something either like that or up on the wall. Um, and I don't know. I used to always have one monitor when I was working that would allocate to like a podcast or like some video documentary, like the building of the Hoover Dam or, you know, some uh, DVD, right? Like, um, you know, uh, Revenge of Nerds or something like that. <laughs> so that would always be playing as I'd be working. Now I'm like, I don't have space for that because I use all three monitors. So I need like a monitor I can just kind of throw things on. I, so anyway, I, I, I have some options down here um, in in the studio. So and I'm thinking about not in back of me, but to the left of me over here. So over here, um, that is just a plain white wall, which will be eventually painted and but I'm thinking about putting up the, if you go to like Bed Bath & Beyond or Bed Beyond, I don't know. It's in the mall. I don't go there often, right? But um, if you check out in back of the checkout area, it, it looks like a window that looks out onto like a bright, sunny, green prairie, right? It's just, a, it's an illusion, right? But now there's a, I found a company that sells these for like ceiling tiles, which I wouldn't do but as a wall. And I thought, oh God, that would be actually a really cool effect down here is to have a wall that looked like it had a window which looked out onto a sunny day because this office has no windows. There's a window in the room next to it, but like most of the time it's cold and not sunny down here. So I just think psychologically, that might be a really cool feature to put up on the wall. So I'm kind of investigating that, trying to learn a little bit more. If you know anything about it, let me know. But I've thought about, I've kind of thought about like the wall in front of me of doing something like that too. But uh, definitely the wall to the left, I think it would be a cool effect. Um, so before I keep going here at the half hour mark, um, appreciate everybody here. So I do have uh, a topic today, which I'll get into in a little bit. It is the Smoky Mountains Wildfire, the Collapse of Physical Time. It's an excerpt from my book, The Velocity of Information human thinking during chaotic times. So I will do an excerpt. I'll do a reading today from the book. And also we're going to talk about the Smoky Mountains wildfire of 2016 and some very unique features of that. So 
we'll get into that in a little bit. The blog post is already up. If you are watching, right, you can see the show description. That's all there. And then I will have it out tomorrow at safetyphd.com. So all of that will be there. So, um, and why in the world is this not, uh, um, anyway, okay. So, yeah, all that stuff will be there. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. Um, hey, it's Vanessa Kitty. Hey, Vanessa. Good to uh, good to see you here. So, Vanessa, uh, thank you so much again um, for your support of School of Airs, which was my first book. And um, today, I noticed that School of Airs is in the Chicago Public Library. So, I do have a tracker where I can find where some of the books are, not all of them. Um, but it is kind of a, it's a good kind of gauge for where things are at. And and uh, today, it, suddenly it was showing in Chicago, so which was cool. And uh, you posted an awesome review. There are now 50 reviews, which is cool. I always thought it would be awesome, you know, once the book got more reviews, which is true. And my my other book, The Velocity of Information, we'll go through both those in a little bit. Um, now is up to like seven reviews, and that is a rapidly showing up um, across the world. It's strange because half the sales for that right now are outside of the US. Like it's showing up in China, <laughs> like at the University of Hong Kong and stuff like that. I mean, it's um, in a lot of libraries in Britain, uh, Germany. And so I, I don't quite understand that, although my publisher is London and US. So, um, but the book is really uh, strong overseas. So and it's, it's strong domestic too, but, um, but yeah, really doing well. A lot of great feedback. Reviews are starting to uh, come up for that. I think it has seven reviews. You know, it's been out a month now, so um, that is awesome. So we're going to talk about that. I have an update on the audiobook. I'm going to share it for that too. So, But uh, welcome, Vanessa. Jim McIntosh, those are illegal in some places because they work so well. I think we've gotten foolish and ill-prepared. Yes. Sure, you don't go there often. Don't worry, we'll keep you your secret. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Multiple sources of heat in cooking are important. Absolutely. So, Vanessa, School of Airs is a must read. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, I have an update on School of Airs. So, here is School of Airs. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, Rethinking School Safety in America. Um, a few updates. One is if you go to Amazon or wherever, place to sell books. There's now a paperback option for this. And it, it will now be available in paperback starting July 15th, which is new. Like this came out in in 2019 as a hardcover and ebook. And now they are additionally releasing it in paperback, which is cheaper. Um, so that'll be out in July, but it's already on the website like you pre-order. Um, but in addition to that, I narrated this audiobook um, and I checked with my narrator, um, or I checked with my, my editor today, the sound engineer. He's, uh, in the home stretch of getting the files done. I have the companion document done. It's your find away voices will be the distributor. So this will be out no later than July 15th, probably before then as an audiobook. And I'm pricing it pretty low <laughs> because, um, I am not a professional narrator. It is professionally edited, so I do sound very, very good, even though I'm not a professional narrator. So kind of what you have now is how this book is, is narrated. But um, 
but because it is written for me talking to the audience, right? I don't have a lot of interviews, things, and it, it works really well. And so I'm excited that um, this will be an audiobook. You'll see it. It'll be through Audible, through Google Books, through um, Apple, you know, all, all the places where you can get um, audiobooks. So that, and it'll be also available in a lot of libraries as a checkout through like OverDrive. So that was one of the features that I wanted. So that's why I went with Findaway Voices. Um, but yeah, so you will see this uh, showing up as an audiobook option on Amazon uh, pretty soon. And that's really cool because again, I narrated it from start to finish in a sound studio in my hometown. Um, and it has an awesome companion document when you download it. So um, that is that is all happening right now. But yeah, this book is is a is really amazing. Not only you know from a parent understanding how school safety works and how these kind of school functions work, how do schools make decisions, but you know I branch off into um, these areas of uh, September 11th, right, and 9/11 and the Harbor Rescue in New York, how that happened, 500,000 people in nine hours, how how that rescue happened, right? Nobody ever practiced it yet; it happened. Um, why did it happen? And the psychology, and really that it had more to do with the 1980s and it did with the 2000s. So it's all in this book. Um, and this book uh, just continues to uh, work its way into more and more libraries across the world. And I, you know, the thing is, it really kind of got thrown off with a lot of things in the pandemic, right? Because when there wasn't in-person school, there, there weren't school shootings, there, you know, school violence was down, you know, people weren't thinking about school safety. So you know, the book came out in 2019, then 2020 kind of cooled off that topic. And now everything is, is really uh, heating up again. And this book, um, you know, has uh, is cited by other works and so forth. But it's really good. Vanessa Gedalia is it's good. Um, but I'm excited, right, because it'll be out in paperback and also audio um, this summer. And audio could be even sooner. I mean, if I get the audio files by the end of the month, um, it would take me about two weeks to have everything turned around and set up on Findaway Voices to start distributing. So it could even be, you know, by June, you know, that this book is out in audio. And if you want to listen to Doc narrate, and again, it's my the sound engineer is cutting out all the mistakes I make and making sure all the audio sounds great. You know, he doesn't have his his USB mic. You know, I'm sitting there in a booth, and and uh, but yeah, it's really good. So now with that book, this is the book of Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times, which has an awesome review just posted by Ben Hawk. So check that out on Amazon. That review just went up. We also have a review by uh, Joe Dolio went up. So reviews are starting to come up for this book. Um, yeah, this is this is really uh, relevant into what is happening right now. Um, as far as uh, chaos around the world, right? We kind of leave one chaos event of a pandemic and get into another of uh, inflation slash war. But uh, velocity of information, um, human thinking during chaotic times, 10 interviews in this book. Um, Linda Stone, how does our attention work? It actually works in a serial fashion. This whole thing of like, hey, you can split your attention on many things. Like that doesn't work. And the science shows that it doesn't work. But here's how to kind of hack your attention. Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief, Robert Travis, uh, Alaskan Crab Boater, how he survived, how like he had a, you know, attention every moment in one chapter is like, all four of my bosses are dead. So um, yeah, cost, custom figures. This book is, is uh, again, selling 
uh, uh, gangbusters internationally. Uh, so we are in, in great shape here. So yeah, this is this is really doing well. Uh, check this out. It's this is also in paperback. Um, they price this high for hardcover, and the reason is that um, this book is 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 popular in libraries, right? So libraries want a hardcover book uh, because it lasts. So that's that's why they do that. Um, I have no control on the pricing whatsoever, but uh, paperback is is very well put together. I, I love my paperback version. I've got it over here to the left of me right here. This is, I grab this, and if I just want to go somewhere and read, I take this book uh, because it's, it's, I mean, and I've had this book with me in a lot of places and it's not bending up or anything like that. Uh, you know, very easy to, uh, you know, to go through this. I have a lot of custom figures in here, a lot of photos I took also, custom images made. Uh, so yeah, um, you're not shorting yourself at all if you're getting the paperback version. It's also available in ebook, um, and it will be available. Dun, 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 this is the big news. It will be available in audiobook April first, two thousand twenty-three. I know it's a long ways to wait. Eleven months. You're like Dave. Come on, eleven months. But it's done. It's completed. Actually, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah, it is done. Ben Hawk. Ben Hawk is the is the narrator. Um, you can uh, learn more about uh, Ben if you want to uh, kind of just do a search. But uh, for for Ben, um, he is the narrator, or he narrated, um, and he's a professional actor. And Ben is uh, is phenomenal, right? And that book, um, the velocity of information really re required a, a match to someone of of, of Ben's ability, right? And so uh, Ben is is entertaining and, and vibrant, and then also like you know just grasps grasp the concepts of the book. And because that book has ten interviews, I you know I didn't want to narrate it um, because like I don't have that skill set, right? I, it would take me a, quite a while to to even kind of get into that ballpark. Um, the way School of Airs had to be narrated by me, that was a contractual thing, but. Um, so this book is awesome. It's already done. It's already uploaded, but it's not available to you <laughs> until April 1st of 2023. And it is very um, affordably priced. So if you do have an Audible subscription, it'll be available to you. Um, it's again through Findaway. That one's also Findaway Voices. But uh, but hang on. So like if you're you know if you're really into into the book know that it's there's a professional narrator it just sounds awesome right it was six hours and 40 minutes total when it was done and uh it was very important for me to have the books available in audio because i worked at the school for the blind for four years and you know there were so many of my colleagues and then also you know adult students right who would say um who, who would just tell you, like, if, if something, a book is available in, in audio, it's much better than if it's available in a text reader. So I always felt like it was missing. Like I had this, this certain audience I didn't have the book accessible to, and now I've remedied that. And plus, like, I like audiobooks. And when I, you know, when I'm driving to the university, which is not close to where I'm at, uh, you know, when I teach on weekends and stuff, I throw in an audiobook, right? And I'll listen to that. So I'm really, I'm thrilled that they're out there in audiobook. So, um, this is Jim, New York Outcast. Aren't those little sternos? Those pretty okay if you have some air leakage. I know not really hot enough to cook, but hot enough to warm up. 
Yeah, I need to look into that. Sterno is uh, used to heat. Yeah. Hope and flame, you must have good ventilation. Yeah. Ben, Ho ben Hawk pokes a bomb 07. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, in a jam or even candles if done right. Lots of videos show how it would definitely uh, want the area uh, heated as possible. Okay. They work well enough for MREs. Yes. Meals ready to eat. I've used soda can stoves camping many times. It works in a small tent or tarp. You got it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, all good stuff. Um, so I have next to me, there's a little archive moment, but so this is, um, this is School of Airs and the only spiral bound, not the only spiral bound, is the only spiral bound version I own. But when I narrated the book, I had the spiral bound version and my, my sound engineer. So as I would read it, he would be turning page by page and tracking along. And then he would give me feedback, right? He'd be like, oh, hey, you know, um, can you, I want you to reread that sentence because you missed this word or like uh, really hit the diction, really hit the last syllable and whatever. And then um, I was reading off of an iPad it was the same document was presented on an iPad, but then I would go back into this one and I would kind of like practice and take notes. But, uh, but yeah, this worked out really well uh, to do it that way. And, and, and so again, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. Those things are out there. So MREs come with a ration heater. You add water to the heater bag and keep ration meal in the bag with it. Gotcha. So, all right. Um, and so what else do I have? Damn, we got all the pyromaniacs, fire experts here. Yeah. So that's, uh, yes. I remember being in firefighter training back in 1993. And uh, there were, you know, multiple aspects to the field training, which I loved, by the way. But uh, one is we had arson investigations. So we would be brought out to a site, right? And then you would have to investigate it to try to find the origin of the fire. And I was always pretty good at that. Um, I was good at at two, two things. I mean, I was good probably at most things, but I was really good at two things. One was arson investigation, and the other was um, sizing up a um, structure fire for how to attack it. Those are two really good skills of mine. Um, and yeah, so kind of thinking back to that, but, uh, one day, so when I actually did my, so to get your firefighting certification back then, right <laughs> back then, right? 92, 93, I got me years ago, but, um, you had to do a, a class or multiple classes, which I did, and then take test and then in addition to that there was a there was a physical um test which was a um you, there was a, a step i don't know it was 18 inches or whatever it was a block a piece of wood and you had to step up and step down for five minutes or something with with like full gear on and then they would check your heart rate and stuff like that the problem for me was like on test day i packed of all stupid things a pepperoni sub sandwich that I made myself. So I already had heartburn through this whole thing. And, 
and then I th- oh, man, I think I threw up when the testing was done. I was just so sick because like you just do not. I don't know what I was thinking, um, but anyway, I passed. So, but yeah, it's bad. Don't recommend it. Do not recommend it. So, Jim saying, "Hey, I heated up coffee with a candle on top of regular wood picnic table." Then a can with a can of punctures and the coffee mug works well, but the mug handle gets too hot. Got it. And New York outcasts. That test uh, place to get them. So I uh, I would actually like to get some MREs. So let, let's let's do this. Don't go anywhere. Um, and I'm going to then go through and we'll do our reading from um the Gatlinburg fire. We're going to do it from the velocity of information. I'm going to do a reading here and we're going to talk about the pigeon forge and Gatlinburg fires that occurred in November and December of 2016. And so Gatlinburg is, it's a, you know, in Tennessee, it's about 4,000 people and pigeon forges next to it. And Dollywood, right with um, uh, Dolly Parton is right there. And there were some really bizarre things with this fire this wildfire, which ended up killing 14 people, destroying many homes, 20,000 acres. But there were very bizarre human behaviors with this fire. So I'm going to talk about that in today's show, which is this collapse of physical time. Um, and, and you know, kind of what was discovered after the fact, what happened, what was discovered after the fact, and then what we all need to take away from that. So don't go anywhere. And uh, we will be um, back here in uh, two minutes. Do not go anywhere. Vanessa, make sure nobody goes anywhere. Jim, you're a Goutcaster. You guys be the heavies. Don't let anybody go anywhere. I'll be right back. We're going to do our intermission here, which we haven't done for a while. This was done by Swamp Dog Armory for us. Let's get our intermission. Um, so, all right. I'll be right back. And keep everybody in here. Thanks.
Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. That was from my good friend, Swamp Dog Armory. I haven't showed that for a while, so I appreciate that he did that very much. So I hope you had a spirited intermission right there. And that the concession lines weren't too long. I could go for probably two to three brats with relish. That'd be awesome. And probably some uh, French fries. But okay, so let's get into uh, the Smoky Mountains wildfire. So let me read uh, what I have here, and then we'll we'll talk more about this. But uh, let's get into the Smoky Mountain wildfire. So. Um, it is legally recognized that time is cleanly divided into years, months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds. Okay. But in certain chaos conditions, the construct of time might distort and collapse into what is known as a flow state. Meaning, like, people do things and they're like, I just don't, you know, it just happened. Like, I just, you know, I, I went over and this car was on fire and I just lifted it up and Got the people out, right? It's flow state. I don't, I don't remember the time. Um, but, okay. All that matters is the, is the moment. So this is what happens, the collapse of physical time. We'll give examples about this. And while we convince ourselves that we will observe and respond to bountiful warning signs. Warning signs. That's going to be big when we get into this in just a second. There were so many warning signs about the Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg fires that people just blew off. Right, and we're going to talk about why they did that. Um, we'll learn that the, the physical time that physical time is a hard bifurcation that appears um, obvious and avoidable in hindsight. Meaning, like things suddenly go wrong, and then it's like it's too late, right? So you have all these warning signs, and then things go wrong. It's a hard bifurcation point. It's like being out on ice, and the ice cracks and you fall through. But like it's been warming up, and you know the ice has been making cracking noise, and it's like it should have got off the ice. In this episode, Doc, hey, that's me, talks about the collapse of physical time and reads excerpts from pages 10 to 11 in the book, The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times, by Doc. So, um, Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, let's give some context in this. First, first of all, this is in Tennessee. It's a mountainous area, the Smoky Mountains, Great Smoky Mountains. Gatlinburg, about 4,000 people. Pigeon Forge is a little bit smaller, so not a lot of people. Um, so, but a lot of people live in the mountains, right? So again, if you look it up on a map, right, you can figure out where these, these areas are in Tennessee, but, um, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge close to Dollywood. So where Jim McIntosh and Wook Chewy like to, and Vanessa and Heath, you guys like to vacation there and bacon, but, um, but yeah, so it's not very populous. There's not like a high density of population there, but People live in the Great Smoky Mountains. And one of the things with the Great Smoky Mountains, right, is it's mountains. You can have fires, especially when humidity drops and things dry out, drought. So that all played into this. So eastern Tennessee, um, in there were 14 people um, killed and, and multiple properties completely destroyed. 20,000 acres wiped out. Um, for the fires that occurred in November and December of 2016. So I want you to put your mindset right now. You're with me. Hey, Heath. Welcome, buddy. Give Heath a... It's Heath. So, um, so imagine, right, that you are there, 
Okay, imagine that you are in Gatlinburg, you're you're up in the Great Smoky Mountains in a cabin, you're vacationing, you're chilling out for a while. Okay, so that's I want you to, to just imagine that because that's what a lot of people do when they go there. Now, a lot of these, um, so when you, when you try to find, like, you know, you're renting a cabin or something or whatever, like the, the GPS doesn't work very well. And a lot of these have side roads that kind of lead off the service areas. So it's just not super reliable, especially back in 2016, even like now, not super reliable. But anyway, during the day, you could probably find your way up to these places, right? Um, again, we're talking pretty rural stuff here, Great Smoky Mountains. So now try to imagine even like at night, if you're not from around there, even if you are from around there, but if you're at night, it gets a little bit trickier trying to figure out where you're going, especially like if your primary road is blocked off. But so, so I'm going to take you into um, 8.30 p.m. on November 28th, 2016. So 8.30 p.m. 8.30 p.m. November 28th, 2016. So I'm going to kind of hop around with the story a little bit, but very high winds, roaring flames. Suddenly the the whole mountain is on fire, right? And it, it burns up the cell towers and it actually goes and burns the cables, the cell cables that are underground and melts them. So you have all your fiber optics out just like that at 830. You have no communications. The If you, you know, for um, the fire departments, you could communicate by your TWI digital radios to each other but even your um, repeaters were out, right? So your ability to get to a tower and have that signal repeated was not happening. So you had, you had very limited communications and communications going out to the public were pretty much non-existent at that point. Like everything just cut out. Um, it, was, it was that intense. So let's kind of back up. How did things get to that point? Um, so, November 28th, 2016, again. And people didn't think this was going to happen. Um, lulled into a sense of security, false sense of security. So Emily Wolpole, who is a NIST scientist, she studied the incident. So I went through her report and I wrote about this. Again, this is from the velocity of information, the collapse of, of physical time, right? And she said, you know, something was something was very perplexing as she and her team were studying the Gatlinburg Pigeon Ford fires. She said, this wasn't like, this didn't just happen. Um, there was a fire that was started by, I think it was teenagers, right? There's still a court case going on with this and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. But so at the top of the Smoky Mountains, there's a, um, let me try to bring up an image here. So Smoky Mountains. Fire. Okay, a lot of this is at night. Okay, so yeah, this is, let's bring up this one. This is from the Smoky Mountain News. Let's do that. Okay, I'm going to share a screen here, give you a context of what's happening. All right, right there. Put me down here. So this is, they also have art and nature, apparently May 16th through 19th, if you're interested. But let's get to a bigger image here. I'm not. Dismiss this. Okay. So here's the deal. Let's take a look at this. 
So right over here, the fire had been burning for a few days and it had been right at the top, right? And this is mostly stony up here, stony. So there's was some speculation, right? Although like officials have kind of backed off of this now because it's being litigated, but um, there was some thought this would just kind of burn itself out. Fires have a tendency to burn upwards if they're at the top of a mountain. This is, again was arson. Um, so that is one thing as a firefighter, right? If you're ever on an incline and there's a fire below you, like that is a really bad setup, right? You have to, you know, try to, to get over to the peak or try to get to some area that's already been burned um, and set up a shelter, things like that. But fire usually doesn't burn down. Um, it'll typically burn up. So in this case, and I was trained also in wildland firefighting, the, the thought probably was this was going to burn itself out. And there wasn't this big response to this either. And so you'll, this will be argued, right? But I've gone through, um, you know, like uh, court documents and things as I wrote the chapters. So anyway, look at, you know, these people are like, hey, like what's going on over here? And that was kind of the thought for two, three days over in Gatlinburg. They're like, there's a fire up there. It doesn't seem like a lot is happening. <laughs> We're not getting much through the media. No one's knocking on our door telling us what to do. Uh, you know, could this thing really, could it spread? Or is this like just going to burn itself out? We don't see like, you know, tanker planes coming over or, like what, what's the deal here? So that's kind of the thing, right? This is this was this was the situation. Let's get this a little bit bigger over here. So as you so as you can see, I don't it didn't really so Smoky Mountain News for goodness sakes. Wednesday, uh, September 6, 2017. So yeah, let's get a good good idea. So this is the issue. So here's the deal. And we're going to get in. I'll do the reading on this. But so this had been happening for the better part of a few days. And people knew it. So like these people knew it here and, you know, people going up to their resort stuff over here and whatever and people in town. And But there was there, there was nobody who sounded an alarm, right? There wasn't anything coming out of saying, hey, like, you know, we need to evacuate this area. And there was something else that was happening. One is it was dry, which is one issue, right? The other part is at, it was there was um, a low humidity front moving in. One of the things as being a wildland firefighter is you do most of your progress fighting a fire at night because the humidity drops and the fire then can't progress as far because there's everything is more damp, right? So that's where you make your progress on a fire. So as long as the humidity was pretty decent, there probably wasn't that big of a concern, but suddenly the humidity was going to drop and that was forecast. That was going to happen. And then as the fire started to spread, the fire kind of creates its own uh, vortex ecosystem type thing that feeds the fire and it just goes crazy. Very unpredictable. It's chaos. It's nonlinear. So anyway, imagine now that you see this image, right? And this has been going on for a few days. Like, what would you do, right? Would you, if you're not seeing anything on news, or if you're kind of asking locals, say, hey, like the mountain seems like it's on fire. Like, is that typical around here this time of year? I guess, you know, like, how would you respond? So we're going to get into that in a little bit. So let me get that out of here. So, yeah, 
yeah, that is uh that is uh good. Uh so Jim caffeine for you. Coffee stat. So so yeah. So so anyway, um so Emily Walpole, this, this uh, NIST scientist who came and studied instance, said, you know, she said, I uncovered a perplexing finding in my analysis of the multi-day fire. Quote, it's possible that you can get used to smelling smoke and it basically lulls you into false sense of security. The fire could be miles away and be producing smoke. Likewise, some resorts and vacationers in the area ignored the nearby threat until it was almost too late. Um, it seemed that people expected that if a large wildfire requiring evacuation was going to happen, they would be told Instead, many had to find out on their own. Resorts closed, issuing 11th hour evacuation orders as their hope that the fire would spare. Their area was extinguished while the fire was not. One such couple relates how it was not until they texted a picture of encroaching fire to their firefighter's son, who replied for them to get out of there immediately. So, so imagine, again, we've got this, uh, we've got this image here. So imagine that, um, so, so they interviewed people after the fact and they said, why did you not leave? And, and some of these you know, people were tourists, but other people live there, right? <laughs> and they're like, well, we thought if it was, it was really at, going to you know, be a risky situation, the officials would have told us this would have been all over TV. People would have been knocking on doors, right? And that didn't happen. And we're gonna tell you what actually did happen. I'm gonna tell you here in just a moment. But so they said, you know, um, yeah, we had this sense about us that this is odd, this is uncomfortable, but right, somebody is going to tell us if we need to evacuate or other measures need to be taken or give us some update or assurance, right? So because that people just expected that. And and even people again who live there said, I I've never encountered this. This didn't seem right. And but my gut instinct, right, was to get out of there. Um, but I didn't do that because I thought, well, the officials see this. This is obvious, right? There's nobody like going around this and saying, oh, did you notice that half the top of the you know, mountains on fire? Like nobody missed this. This is daytime. Right? Nobody missed that this is happening. So because it was so obvious, people just overruled their gut instincts on this, even people who knew better. But there was one family, uh, husband and wife, and they texted a picture like this, similar to this, to their son. And they said, hey, like, you know, this doesn't seem right to us. And he's a firefighter in some other state. He, he immediately gets back to them and says, get out of there. Like, I just brought up, you know, there's low humidity coming in. There's all this stuff. Like, you know, this is, you know, and they did. But um, talk about, you know, so sometimes like a member tech network can help you in that way too, which I read about in the book, uh, Philosophy of Information. But anyway, um, let's go back to that. So, so this, uh, so as they, they analyzed this event after it happened. They were saying, why didn't people leave? They were interviewing people who had lived there and they were interviewing tourists and, you know, people have been, and they say, hey, and by the way, before we get there, it's Robert Ribbon Harrison. That's our zero weight oil buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy, 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 buddy. Appreciate you. So big fan of uh, zero weight oil. Thank you very much for being here. Um, so that's the thing. What is the takeaway from this before we get into it any longer? If your gut instinct is telling you this isn't right, <laughs> no matter if it's a wildfire or you're in some situation, you know, you're shopping or whatever, you have some, some, something weird, you're on the interstate and you're like, something's not right. Um, get out, right? Um, so 
kind of like the stock market in the last four months, but but no, there. If you have this sense though that that you you know you're you're looking at something is very obvious and it doesn't seem right to you, run it by some other people uh, and also your member checks who aren't in that area, but act on this right. Think about yourself and think. Okay, I, I can see this right now. I have a road I can get out of here. But what if this thing like started to burn more at night? Like, how would I get myself out of here? And again, that was the part where most of the people interviewed said, we just frankly expected that there would be very overt warnings, right? There would be sirens or be people knocking on doors or be dynamic signage. All this stuff would be happening, this evacuation. And because it wasn't happening... We thought, you know, the authorities must know what's going on, right? So we, we trusted them. So um, so the fire was observed two days before hell broke loose. So why wasn't the public alerted? So here's the, this is an ongoing lawsuit right now. Um, survivors blame park rangers and other federal personnel for failing to adequately alert the town about the fire's danger and speed. Insurance companies also have filed litigation in this case. The fire started as a small blaze November 23rd, 2016, the day before Thanksgiving on the popular Chimney Tops Trail in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Authorities said it appeared two teenage boys set the fire. We got it, which grew. Um, and then eventually on the 20th. So on the 26th, the fire is burning. You can see the smoke. The fire is burning. 26th is when the humidity drops. Um, the fire spreads, it becomes wind, it, it's windy at the same time as this, this front comes in, and then the fire just takes off. So, so the, uh, litigation, let me read a little bit about this. In 2020, I'm going to do a read from the book, so hang with me here. In 2020, senior U.S. District Judge Ronnie Greer stated that the government failed to properly alert neighbors of the risk of the fire. The United States government, this is quoted, cannot rely on the press releases and an e-blast to satisfy a requirement to notify park neighbors, park visitors, and local residents when it doesn't tell the court where the press releases and e-blasts were sent to. So just a pause right there. So basically they're saying, well, we just like sent out <laughs> an Instagram post, right? Or we put up on our website what was happening. And, you know, we emailed like everybody who was on our MailChimp that this was a bad situation. I mean, and they couldn't, they couldn't identify who they contacted, but just said we went and electronically did this. And the court, then the judge is saying, that's, that doesn't cut it, right? So so uh, Greer, Judge Greer uh, continued, likewise, the United States relies on the information posted to websites and social media comes to satisfy the requirement. The problem with this argument, so so this is where the the local authorities, right, were coming in and saying, hey, we, we put it up on the website. We did those types of things to notify people. And the judge is saying, yeah, that doesn't cut it though, right? Because um, that's passive. And the people would have to go and check those sites are really not from, some of them you know aren't from around there. This is a vacation area. Uh, the problem with that argument is the same as the problem with the press release and the e-blast argument. The information posted on the websites gave notice to the visitors of the park's websites. The Instagram posts may have given notice to the people who follow the park on Instagram, et cetera, but posting information on websites and social media accounts is not the same as notifying park neighbors, park visitors, and local residents of all planned and unplanned fire management activities that have the potential to impact them. So basically, here's what they did. Is when we talk about they, like the parks department, the city, 
right? The people who are in charge with managing this fire when it was small is, and is it kind of started to get larger instead of going up and down roads with sirens on, you know, loudspeakers, right? Knocking door to door, um, you know, doing those types of things. They went to their websites and they said, here's our Instagram thing. Like, by the way, this, you know, the fire and the e-blasting on the park website. And again, you know, those are passive, right? People have to go to those. So as someone who is a former expert witness, legal expert witness, like that, that immediately doesn't cut it, um, that people have to navigate and find these sites. I mean, that'd be like, imagine like tonight there's stormy weather across the country, like tornado stuff that, you know, instead of a storm siren going off in your tornado, you know, a, a, a radio or whatever it is that has a tornado frequency that, you know, alerts you and things like that. Instead of those things like blasting and notifying you, like that you'd have to log in and listen or, you know, find that information like online, right? That doesn't make sense. Like close to my house, we have a tornado siren. That'd be like saying there's no tornado siren. You know, there's there's none of this stuff. Um, you have to go in and log in and see if your area is under a tornado warning or, or interpret, you know, these. And again, you know, so it, and how are people supposed to really interpret what information is up there? How current is it? How does it apply to them versus, you know, uh, the emergency services here coming together and saying, you know, we're going to do a sweep up and down the hill. We're going to cover local media. We're going to be on, in addition to that, a radio, we're going to put dynamic imaging signs up. Um, and, you know, whatever, we're going to print off the flyers. We're going to tape them on every door up and down the hill, you know, get it, whatever it is. Um, and, those type of things. They didn't happen that, you know, they're saying we did this, this election, and this is back in 2016. So like, you know, even today you can, you know, we're, you have more access to things like that, but in 2016, you had less. And, and by the way, when this hit, right, when this started to burn down the mountain, it took out the cell phone towers and the telecom. So you're screwed. You couldn't access your phone was connecting your GPS really was useless because there's smoke all over the roads. You didn't really like know where you were in space. Um, so this whole thing was just horrible, but yeah. So that was part of this, right? Is, is this messaging going out? And there's a good point in here. Like when you're telling people very important information, it's where I write about in the velocity of information too. During World War II, for example, things, uh, about the Committee for National Morale, use images and be very explicit with people. <laughs> this is what we want you to do. Um, and, and this whole thing, and don't be passive, like go right to people and tell them, this is what you we want you to do. Um, so I think a lot of you can sense this right, up, right off the bat, right? If you're just saying, it's a social media age, we're gonna post on our, our website that this fire is dangerous and we're gonna post it on Instagram and you know whatever. Um, you know, immediately it doesn't make sense, right? That's, you should probably do that as one of five steps. And one of those steps includes you have a team that is going through this area, right? And notifying people and then also identifying evacuation sites and how to get there. Um, and, and I mean, that all of that is being put out. One thing that was done and I wrote about it in School of Airs, one thing that was done really, really well on the September 11th attacks was how New York communicated during a crisis situation. Giuliani, for example, every hour, like on the news saying, 
here's a recap of what we've already said. And here's new information. Like here's how to get out of the city, like battery park, uh, get down to battery park or, you know, whatever. And that was really, really well done. So the thing is, this was, this was really horribly done. Um, so that's one of the things, if you are ever in a position to share critical information out to people, uh, and I share this also with school administrators, for example, if something, um, catastrophic happens in a school setting. Um, uh, I think an example I use is let's say there's a bus accident, right? And, and you know, and, and parents are trying to find out like, well, what happened and all this stuff. If you went first to your website and you're posting, here's the bus, there's a bus accident, this and that, like you don't do that, right? You, you would have something of, of you would, you would try to get the people directly involved in this notified, and then you can share out other statements, right? Even like if you would have said here that we have an official press releases or that you would have had like um, official like a channel to, for people to subscribe in like a radio. Again, like your power, the whole thing was real iffy here, but you're trying to get people out of here. You just can't say, you just can't say that we put it on our website and we put it on Instagram and people should have gone to those sites and been informed. So that's where this lawsuit is hinging. People who are suing right on behalf of, you know, relatives that lost their lives, people who lost property, things like that saying, you know, and so the government defense here saying, well, we notified you, 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 you apparently didn't go to our Instagram page, you didn't go to our TikTok, you didn't go to our, Insta, you know, our um, MySpace. So you didn't follow us on LinkedIn. I don't want to make, make, um, make this sound callous on my part, but I do think obviously there was a recognition that and they they had to have this information right that you know the, the potential was there for this to go catastrophically wrong with the humidity dropping the potential for this fire to to just go wild um and and also that this would be at night which amplifies things because it's hard to navigate at night and you know the the possibility of communications cutting out that you needed to go very aggressive on this very fast of getting people off of the mountain. Um, and the thing is, like, I think people would have responded to that. Um, so, but anyway, let's go back. Relying on smart devices, smart devices. Many of us rely so heavily on smart devices on a daily basis when hell is not breaking loose. We have trained ourselves to assume that the technology that allows us to receive the information we need to navigate our home turf on a typically uneventful day will always work, whether it, it always has worked. This assumption is our Taurus, our normalcy bias. When your observations are mismatched to your technology, choose a course of action to get out of harm's way. So part of this comes to where the, and I'll come over to the chat here in just a second. You know, the thought was people will go to their smartphones because that's how people get information. And also people thinking, well, if it's really bad, I'll just go to my smartphone, like, and I'll, hit the GPS map and I'll, you know, ways and I'll get my, myself down the mountain. I'll figure out where to go and all that stuff. Um, th but the thing is like, this stuff isn't completely reliable. It's and we know it's not, you know, Myanmar to Belarus. Like we know that um, com uh, in Canada, right. Government shut down internet access. We know that that happens. Um, so, you know, just do not offload overly offload to your smart device. You know, if something happened weird on your smart device, it got some weird virus and shut down, like, would you be able to function? Would you be able to find your way around? So let's go over to the chat and then I'm going to do a reading actually from the book. Believe it or not, believe it or not, 
George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the tone. I don't know where George is. He's probably in Inglewood. Where could he be? Believe it or not, ask Jim McIntosh. All right. Um, here we go. Just found where I'm going to read. Please subscribe and smash that like button. We have 19 thumbs up if you have any uh, time when you're just kind of doing something and you want to listen to the show. There's 180 episodes. By the way, that's how many episodes were in Seinfeld total. The TV series Seinfeld had 180 episodes. This is 180, the 80th episode of the Safety Doc podcast, believe it or not. So, um, yeah, so kind of a, kind of an exciting milestone here, 180. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to 200, and then who knows? But I think it's really like a credibility thing on a podcast. Once you get once you get above like 100, but one, like 180 is pretty solid, right? And then I do the blog post for everyone. Every every show's out there in audio too. If you go to pod, if you just go to safetyphd.com, you can find every show. And everything's out there on Podbean, so it's all leveled. I run it through a leveler. So if you're just like listening on audio, um, or if you want to listen here on YouTube, or you want to like have a blog post that is about a four minute read of, hey, what was it? Doc, you know, Doc was talking about. Um, so it's all out there. It's really good stuff. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I'm glad. Like 180 shows is like. For this type of content, and I appreciate all of you, it's really good. So let's go over to the chat, and I'm going to do a read. Um, this is our good friend um, uh, to Robert. Hello, Wook Chewy and Vanessa. Robert is very cordial tonight, as always. Left a lot they change your profile pic and call it a day. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since I changed my profile pic. I probably wouldn't. Separate GPS antenna receiver is best. Yeah. So, right. So, like, Vanessa would probably have a plan for this. And even though like, some of the roads, like, got shut down because trees fell over the roads and burning debris, and then you're like, well, now what do I do? Like, where's the second option? And, um, you know, so these vehicles just, like, cooked, which is horrific. But, uh, but yeah, most people aren't thinking about that. Um, Jim McIntosh, yeah. Uh, let's go over here. I recommend the Garmin Glow. It is in generation two or three now. It gets 26 or more signals at once from satellites. Cool. I have a Garmin GPS in my vehicle. Our newest vehicle has a lifetime uh, GPS. When we bought the vehicle new, it came with that. So it has a like a 12-inch screen, and it's been pretty reliable. It's been actually very reliable, but I have the traditional Garmin. I don't really trust. I don't hook my phone up to a GPS type thing, but uh, my Garmin's been pretty solid for me. So... Um, but yeah, so the thing is too, like you have to, you know, let's put yourself in this situation. Like as people are coming down the hills and streets, Gallenberg isn't very big, this whole area, you know? So you, you have this, you know, these, these entire streets are wiped out. I mean, flame is just coming across 80 miles an hour and in, in debris. So people like don't know where to go. Like what's your next option? Uh, do you turn and go back up the hill, but then it's burning back of you and, you know, your tires are melting and, you know, the, the paint is melting off your vehicle and, you know, all this stuff is happening. I mean, it's just crazy. So, so you completely become disoriented. It's a loss of, it's a collapse of physical time. You have no idea relative in time where you're at. What's going to happen next is completely, go you're totally in the moment. You're only laminated to that moment of that second of what is happening. You cannot predict what is going to happen next. You have no idea what's in front of you, where to go, 
what's been destroyed, what's not. I mean, all this stuff is gone. Communicate, all comms is dropped. It is gone, boom, in a second, collapse of physical time. So, which is different than psychological. Psychological collapse is like getting to a burnout point and whatever. Like these are people who still had, there were some people who died trying to get themselves down the hill, but um, these people still had psychological capacity. They just didn't have physical time. Um, they, everything around them had just fallen apart. So, you know, it's like the, the collapse of physical time. If you're on the Titanic, it doesn't matter how psychologically sound you are. <laughs> the boat will sink. You are fighting, um, you know, increasing odds as the night goes on after the collision with the iceberg. So, um, 29 stumps would fail miserably in smoke, fire, chemicals, and usually high humidity. So, yeah, Garmin is hot, poop hot, especially if low speed, high drag. So, um, so you're saying my $15 G.I. Joe radios. Actually, you know what? I bet you your radios probably would have been pretty good, right? Traditional two-way radios in short distance or CB type radios probably would have been okay. Although it's really hilly, like right or a lot of mountains. So, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to get a lot out of that. But when you're relying on repeater systems and digital communication systems, those fell. Those went down. So then, you know, again, as a fire department, you can go radio to radio, but you have a difficult time then going to other departments and anything you're trying to organize now as a as a multi-agency response is, is severely hampered. I don't know where the, I, I haven't been able to figure this out, where their command center was um, because your command center should have the ability to keep going and then have a repeater and things like that. But again, with the mountains out there, like how far could you really get from your command center and not have a repeater? So repeater, by the way, a repeater. And so when I was a school administrator, one of the things that we looked at, let me get rid of the banner, um, a digital radio communication system. And this was, we're, we're transitioning from analog to digital. And one of the, the questions was, could we communicate from school to school within the district over a few miles? And the answer was yes, if we had a repeater. And what a repeater would is basically an antenna somewhere that would pick up the signal and then amplify it and send it out. And we did have a, a tower in town that was owned by the police department. I don't remember the whole thing, but they did allow us to put a repeater on the tower. And that way, for example, like custodians at night could talk from building to building on the the, the uh, digital radios that they had, which they couldn't do before. But you could also do that with administrators if something was going down, evacuation, or like if you had people getting onto a bus and if they would get two, three miles out of town, you could still do the repeater, but still reach like this range because it was in an elevated area. So we had things pretty well covered. So repeater basically would take the signal and just amplify it. So it gives you more range, right? So... Um, but again, if you're if you're dealing with the Smoky Mountains and you're dealing with mountains, the mountains are going to not allow you to do that very effectively. Like you'd have to really figure that out ahead of time. And then, by the way, anything you had in the mountains was probably destroyed. So, um, and this is really this is before a lot of the pinging to satellite type stuff, which was out there. Even if you could ping to satellite, though, you have to remember, like the. You're, you're in your car and literally 20 feet in front of you, you know, the road is covered with fallen trees and you can feel the heat coming, you know, into your vehicle. And there's like, where do you go? 
Um, so, so again, this whole Gatlinburg thing, one of the points is that people saw this fire burning for two days, thought it was something was not right about this, right? <laughs> Actually, then, but in interviews afterwards, they said, we just thought the authorities would tell us. And the authorities are saying, well, we did tell you, but we put it up on our website and you didn't check it. So, um, you know, let's go back to uh, chat and then I'm going to do a read here. This is bacon. Ah, I get it. All my emergency alerts uh, from the government TikTok. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of true. It's a, you know, it's, you're kind of spoofing there, bacon, but it's kind of true. Like, it's almost like, how do you reach people? Is it going to be like, it's because governments right now are kind of like, well, do you, do we do a TikTok video to communicate um, how we, how are we getting this out to people? So this is where like official things, but there's no substitute in that situation for going door to door. It reminds me, I was alive, right, during the 1980 uh, Mount St. Helens blast in Washington State. My brother graduated high school the day that that happened. It was in May. where And they knew it was going to happen, right, that the mountain was going to explode. They were warning people up and down the mountain, hey, you have to get out. There was one guy who didn't, and then he was just kind of evaporated, like just um, when the thing hit. But... Um, but this is something where you have plenty of time to alert people and you chose to do it in a passive manner. So, but yeah. And, and the question comes up for all of us listening, right? And this is where a member check, right? The family that sent the video to their son or the pictures and said, hey, like this is going on. Like, what do you think we should do? And he's like, get out of there. You know, a firefighter, like that's, you're not safe. Um, this is where you're so just your gut instinct. There, there's studies done by uh, David Klein, who's a researcher in California. I don't know if it's San, San Los Angeles or if it's San Diego. I don't know. David Klein um, studied firefighters. I wrote about this in um, School of Airs. David, I actually talked about David Klein in my doctoral dissertation. So this was maybe back in the 80s and 90s. So David Klein would go out with a team of researchers, college students, right? And uh, and they would go with firefighters and and they would observe. And what they would try to figure out is like, how much of firefighting were, was like instinct gut feeling and how much was directive? So, you know, there are certain things like, you know, fire engines get pulled up to a site and the horn, you know, sounds so many times, right? And, and, uh, and that indicates for everybody to get out of the building, right? Um, that's a determination by whoever's, uh, you know, leading the, the scene, right? But um, there are other times that firefighters just like whoever's, kind of, you know, you're up on the roof, right? With a couple other guys and you're like, time to get off. And you're like, how do you know that? So David Klein did these studies and he was trying to figure out like, how do you know when to get out of these buildings? Or but And, and then inevitably like the roof would collapse or the building would fall inward, something like that, a minute after people get out, the firefighters get out. And he'd be like, there wasn't any directive, right? There, you weren't told to get out. There wasn't the, the sounding of the, the horn on the, you know, the engine and, and stuff like that. And and they would, so they they tried to to say, was, well, was there some indicator? Is, is there like smoke that comes through the roof or is there like a certain spongy feeling or whatever? And they'd say, well, no. And then, so they were trying to match all this stuff up. How do you know this? And it was just this thing of like, well, you do it long enough, you just get a sense. 
you, you just understand. And there's this, there's an, there's an innateness. You don't have to be like a 10 year firefighter. There's just, there's an innate, there's a gut feeling of knowing, yeah, this isn't safe anymore. And then acting on that. And all of these people that the national institutes, NAST, I think it's, I don't want to say standards, I don't know, but it's NAST, Emily Walpole that they interviewed. They're like, yeah, we knew, we knew that this felt wrong. <laughs> We just believe somebody would tell us. So the, the response on this is, you know, you feel things are wrong. You act in, you have to act in your best interest, whether you're, you're you're delayed up on the highway and something really weird is happening or whatever's going on. Or There's so many of these times, just do what you feel you need to do to get yourself or those around you, those in your care to a safe setting, right? Do not default and say someone else is going to make the call. Do not do that. There was a time when I was a kid, it was in the 1970s, and we were out for a drive. It was in summer. It was really humid. And my dad, we're out in the country, and I think it was my mom, dad, brother, and I. And, uh, and my dad was was saying, you know, the sky looks really weird today. Like, I I just don't think, I think we should head back. And so I was probably, you know, seven, eight at the time. And uh, we got back home, and this horrific out- outbreak of tornadoes hit like an hour later. Like there was a tornado within a block of our house and, um, and you know, it was just one of those things. Like at that time, nothing was going on. It wasn't even raining, right? It was still like semi sunny, but it was this weird yellowish in the sky. And just, I remember that. And again, you know, it could be something you're trying to tune in the radio back in the seventies, like who's going to tell you whatever. And, and, you know, you could say, ah, whatever, you know, it was really bad, but, um, but no, it was a sense. And that's the thing, right? Go with your sense. Train your kids. Tell people around you. If, if it's your, you, like run it by somebody. Like, you know, you have your camera. You can take a picture of things. Or you can call somebody or say, hey, you know, or whatever. Like, hey, I'm on the highway and this has been going on and whatever. So I have the sense, like that, that whole member check, getting some feedback. But just also following your own sense in that. Yeah. It, what do you have to lose? Well, you have to lose like, you know, getting away from your place for a day or two and yeah, that would suck and all of this stuff. But um, if you're up in, in the mountains, but right. I mean, these are big things. Like um, if, and if you're asking questions of what would happen if a fire spread around here and this road wasn't accessible and you don't have an answer to like, what is the plan B and like, who's going to come up and get me or what do I do? Like I can't stay in the building. I mean, that's one thing. Like if it's a tornado, right. You can go into a cellar and likely survive the tornado and come out, things would be destroyed. But like, if it's a wildfire, you don't have that option. So you have to really extricate yourself from the the area. Let's go over to the chat. I ignore most of the crap, too much drama. God, remember remember the, uh, all those alerts coming on the phone, presidential alert at one point. So it doesn't seem to happen quite as much anymore, but yeah. You gotta be your own curator and then you have to to also i think you have a responsibility to those around you right to let them know and and bring it to their awareness or at least to ask what they're thinking or develop to validate them i mean we have neighbors who are 90 in their 90s and granted like we live in a city um so i mean but if there was something that was kind of acutely happening um i would want to make them kind of aware i think we did that uh we had some uh very severe weather come through here a couple of years ago. And I think like during the day, like we started to have those dialogues of saying, you know what? <laughs> it might be a good thing to bring in your, 
you know, stuff from your yard or like I can help you bring in your, your furniture from your deck or, you know, we can put it underneath or whatever, because yeah, I just, it, it doesn't seem like this is going to end well today. And it did not. Uh, you got that from pops vomit response from burning human style. Oh, God, I remember listening to pops talk about that. Yeah. Or your, the things, uh, yeah. And his, uh, military experience and how even like, uh, trying to eat a, a medium to wall steak is almost is impossible for him. So I can't even imagine just uh, horrible. New York outcast come scare me. I don't know enough to get tracked. So depending how bad things I, I'm not used to them. That's a good point. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you're also, yeah. How do you integrate interface with communications when communications has also kind of been more or less weaponized against you. Right. <laughs> like, being able to track you and things like that. So there's this whole trust part. I wrote about that in the velocity of information. I mean, you'll pick it up right away in the Gatlinburg um, chapter and then kind of onward. But yeah, if you, but, but still like, again, we go back to Gatlinburg. If you were there and I guess, I mean, the question is, would you, you, you'd have this, this inertia where your family or just you, you'd be like, damn it. Like I just got everything unloaded. Like I'm up here in the cabin. I'm renting this. Like, I don't want to load everything up or like, I don't want to be spending the entire time up here checking in on the status of this. Like I just want to enjoy myself. There's another part of you, which is going to be like, let's just get things loaded and you know, let's monitor this or yeah. Or like, I'm, I'm feeling this is pretty dicey. I'm going to get a, yeah get a, a cheap motel, whatever, 20 miles away for a day until, or a day or two until this like settles down or whatever. Like, would you have the fortitude to do that? I don't know if I would. I want to think I would. I really want to think I would, but you'd have all this inertia, right? Of everything would be unpacked. You'd be up there in your family. And then you also kind of would have this default. And there's this thing called social proof. Schools do this all the time, social proof. You would believe that a lot of people in charge are watching this and making the correct decisions. And if things really go to hell, they'll let you know with plenty of time to get out. So pretty sure that's also why the big guy in the sky says long pig is no bueno is emergency food. Very possible. I reference pop a lot. Yeah. Pop is just a state over for me. Long pig makes you sick over time. Jim, CB, FRS, GMRS, ham, military band, all the damn radio shit fails, especially when tired, backside of beyond, and the poop has solidly pecked to the rotary pillar. Yeah. And, and right, so if you had ham during this, you're not going to, unless you go mobile, right? But that's not how ham is usually set up. So you're going to be leaving your place. So you're not going to have your access to your, to your ham. And the other part is like, even if you can calm with people, this is at night. And, you know, you have 75 mile an hour winds and, and uh, debris, flaming debris coming across. You don't know where you are. You've completely been separated. Again, time has collapsed for you. You're just that moment. Um, and that's one of the things like people would say um, who are trapped and then eventually get rescued off. Of, and, and again, you know, several people perish. But people would say, like, I lived here my whole life and I had no idea where I was. Right. Like once I started to drive, like I just kept driving. Eventually I got down the hill if I was fortunate. Right. But I had no idea, uh, you know, like you could have handed me a map and said, where do you think you are? And I'd be like, I think I'm here and I could totally be in a different place. I mean, it is so disorienting so quickly. 
So um, this is a Chrome Dome Omega, a new tech dock. They do make drones now that carry a signal review. Yeah, right, they do that. Now, could you launch that during a... Um, could you launch that during the Gatlinburg fire? You had high winds, you're talking 75 mile an hour plus winds that melted cell phone towers. So the thing is like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do it. Like you wouldn't have those readily available to launch. And um, I mean, cause you're talking, you're talking minutes here, how this is accelerating. So, uh, so yeah, that is, and again, even if the technology completely told you where you were at and could guide you, the road might, the the two roads, which your options might be unavailable to you. They could be completely blocked off. Trees had fallen over them and you're screwed. So, and if you drive up the fires behind you too. So like, what do you do then? Do you have a fire shelter? I mean, that's another thing. When I was a firefighter, we always had a fire shelter, anything wildland, you always had a fire shelter, which is basically like this big uh, uh, aluminum foil tent but i mean it folds down really small like the size of a wallet and then um you unfold it and you go to an area hopefully that has already been burnt so you always during a wildfire you always go to black uh ground because it's already been burnt it doesn't have fuel at least it's not going to reignite hopefully as much it can still kind of like a charcoal like type effect but you put out your this this tent basically and and you Hopefully it'll radiate enough of the heat, right? That uh, you'll survive. Although, like, even in those scenarios, of it, people still end up getting third-degree burns on feet, and uh, you know, it's just not good. But I mean, at least it's, it's something you kind of dig yourself in. Um, and you're trying to to suck air as close to the ground as possible while this passes over you. It's horrific. Like <laughs> it just is is horrible stuff, man. Um, so, yeah. So like, yeah, and so you'd have to imagine, but imagine would people have these available? Do people have them right now? Like, I don't have this. So again, what is the technology available at the moment? And then also the thing is like, you could know exactly where you were. Let's hypothetically say that. And you could be like, well, what do I do now? You know, the road's blocked in front of me, the road's blocked behind me. Um, the, the dash is literally melting um, in the vehicle. What do you do? The tires are exploding. The propane tanks around you are exploding like bombs. That's what people um, would say after they got down the mountains. They would say, "I that felt like a bomb," and it would shake, you know, your vehicle when these things would go. Get with the program, is what they said back in high school. Darn right. Jimmy forgot the most important comm device: two cans and a wire. Yeah, no kidding. Also, this is Jim. Could you use old twisted pair handsets connected to blasting caps as emergency clackers. If you know, you know. Chernobyl. Yeah. So I wrote about, um, I have a chapter where I interviewed Nikolai Razavayu, the uh, um, Soviet cyclist who had to bike in Kiev the day after Chernobyl. It's in my book here, The Velocity of Information. It's an awesome, awesome interview. I interviewed um, Nikolai over four months um, in 2021 to come up with that chapter. So that is really something. Wow. So... Yeah, let's, uh, hey, it's one fast stack. Hey, buddy. Um, I was kind of wondering, like, <laughs> I actually was wondering this today. So here he is. How's the weather up by you? Because it is like 51 degrees and it feels cold here because it's been overcast and windy. 
And I'm just like, you know, in Canada, um, where you're at, like, what is summer? Is summer June to August? What is it? I, I know our friend Alex there on his channel put in a large outdoor pool in the back of his house. And I was, as I was hiking yesterday, I'm thinking, what, what is, how often can you use that? Like, are there a hundred days max that it would be warm enough to use an outdoor pool in is your area of Canada? And then like, cause you'd have to shut this pool down at some point because like it froze, right? That'd be, could cause catastrophic damage to the pool. So like, I was looking at that thinking, man, I just, I don't see the, the value in putting in an outdoor pool, but I don't see value in doing it here because I mean, realistically, June to second week of September, maybe where I'm at. So I don't know. My neighbors consider an outdoor pool, which would have been a complete crazy wild thing <laughs> for us. Because we would have been, I mean, the backyards connect. And thankfully, they didn't do it because there's wires that run through and things would have been rerouted. But they were telling me their plan. It's like, oh, my God. Jim saying, what the hell happened to emergency NOAA broadcast and civil defense stuff on cable TV? What's wrong with that? Plus, you're right. Yeah, all of that stuff, right, um, is there. And then in this case should have been in addition to that there should have been some dynamic signage or some other signage and coming up and going door to door you had time to do that and mobilize um right you do i think there's this thing where some emergency management areas right and i talk to emergency managers right now who tell me this they're the big push is to go online where people are going to be like so we have to like update on our facebook page if there's a whatever and it's like but the thing is that that doesn't hit everybody and it's not and it isn't as reliable as these systems which have been in place you can do that in addition but not substitute as it seems it was done here um that uh what was done here in gatlinburg you know basically hey check our web page so so yeah um june to september okay for the pool weather so all right. I look, I guess at my age, I look, and I'm not that old, much older than Alex, but uh, I look at that. I'm like, God, I wouldn't want to maintain that, you know, to deal with that. And have, I'm sure you have to have a fence around it and liability. You need that in our area. I'm like, I just want, wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> so, but um, New York Outcast, I got to sit in a trailer. Or I got this in a trailer that was set on fire once during demonstration. It was pretty crazy. Or about 30 seconds I had to leave after him. And oh my God. Yikes. Take care, buddy. Robert's saying, maybe the pool heated. He, maybe it is heated, but I don't, I don't really see from his video that there was a system to heat that other than like electrical. But holy smokes, would that be expensive? Um, so I don't know. Not my circus, not my monkey. It's a good guy. Just I'm kind of looking at that. So <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. So you'd be a good neighbor because like you'd be the kind of neighbor saying, hey, can I come over and like use your pool? And you'd be like, sure, doc. But, like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll like weed whack around your house, help you out, something like that. But um, it's like like I had a friend that owned a boat and uh, 
And so like we'd go out on, on the, you know, Wisconsin river and there's a part opened up like a mile. So we'd be out there. And so it's always good to have a friend with a boat, like a speed boat. And then, you know, we'd come back in and, and then like he'd have to do all the stuff of like tying it up and doing all the, you know, maneuvers and things. It actually stayed in a dock area, but I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm glad I don't own that thing. And then like at the end of the year, you have to like drag it out and all this stuff. Like always have a friend with a boat. Don't be the friend with a boat. End of days, eraser. Come with me if you want to live. Yeah. Let's go in. Let me read this part. There is a come with me if you want to live part. Let me read this. So, okay, stick with me. I'm reading now from the velocity of information. God, when I update my system here, I'm going to lose some software that I'm also going to have to reconfigure some software. I have Windows 7, so when I go to 10 through the whole upgrade, I'm a little nervous, but it just has to happen. This is from the book, The Velocity of Information. If you haven't ordered this, order it now. I know it's $35. I do not set the price. The publisher sets that, but this is a damn good book. 471 endnotes, 10 interviews. It's really well done. 208 pages. Um, so, you know, a couple of days you'll get through this. I boiled this thing down like making maple syrup. Like this thing has energy and content from page one all the way to the end. So um, you will you will love this book. So, yeah, awesome. The velocity of information. So let me do a read right now. Okay, this is early on. This is on page 10 of the book. Um, okay, here we go. Now I have the screen up on the left-hand side. So you're like, why is Doc looking over there? Is he looking at a ghost? So I might be looking at a ghost. I don't know. But um, let me actually, let me pull this up. This might help all of us. Let me do a little more here. Okay, so you can see what I can see. All right, so this is actually from the book, so let me get to this in just a second. All right, a couple things here. Hang on. Hang on. Ugh. All right. Ah. Whoa. Happy uh, mini spring showers from our good friend Media Hits. Yeah, we do have a lot of rain. We have uh, we have uh, removed ourselves from drought. So it's a good thing. Had a lot of rain. So I'm going to do a read here. This is on page 10 of the Velocity of Information, the book that you need to get. I want to check in Amazon in an hour. And I'll be like, hey, like your sales rank has improved because uh, some of your listeners have gone in and bought the best damn book for 2022. 
And I'll appreciate all of you for doing that. And by the way, the audiobook that comes out April 1st, 2023, will be very affordably priced. It is professionally narrated by Ben Hawk, who you might have seen on 30 Rock and also TV show Manifest, which is, uh, he did an awesome job with that. But uh, anyway, here we go. Two men living in the area experienced this reality when a single burning ember fell into their yard and made them realize they had perhaps misjudged the fire's proximity and degree of threat. Perhaps they expected more in the way of official communications and warning or someone to take charge and make a decision, but none proceeded to smoke, the orange glow in the sky, or ultimately that ember in their brother's yard. So this gets into a point of a couple brothers living up on the mountain and and no one's telling them anything, and suddenly, like, there's an ember that floats over and lands in their yard. They're like, hmm, maybe <laughs> it's a little more serious here. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, found that less than a quarter of surveyed residents received any type of warning or had prepared an evacuation plan for their household. Emily Walpole, an NIST scientist who studied the incident, uncovered a perplexing finding in her analysis of the multi-day fire. It's possible that you get used to smelling smoke. It basically lulls you into a false sense of security. The fire could be miles away and be producing smoke. All right, let's get, there's a part I want to read here about the fires. Um, I'll just keep reading. It's pretty close. Okay. Resorts closed, issuing 11th hour evacuation orders as their hope that the fires would spare their area was extinguished. While the fire was not one such couple relates how it was not until they texted a, a picture of encroaching fire to their firefighter's son, who replied for them to get out of the area immediately, that their own perception of their immediate situation changed. In this case, or in the case of the brothers, spurred to action by the appearance of the ember in their yard is sort of shot across the bow from the fire itself. They quickly became some, uh, they quickly packed some items to their pickup truck. They fled down the mountainside only to be stopped by a down telephone hole across the road. The obstruction forced them to improvise and find another route down while propane tanks exploded nearby. So close, in fact, that they could feel the heat pulse in the truck as they breathed the smoke wafting in from the vents. During descent, they encountered a car stopped in the middle of the road, blocking it. The driver, an el elderly gentleman who could not see because of the darkness and thick smoke, followed the brother's taillights down the mountain. It seemed to be his last option. So that guy made it. Out of time, lost, confused, sensory deprived, and not only cut off from any help, but also from the ability to communicate due to nearby cell towers being destroyed or overwhelmed, the elderly man was fortunate that the brothers had been forced in his direction. Others were not so fortunate and never made it down. Many of us rely so heavily on smart devices on a daily basis when hell is not breaking loose. We have trained ourselves to assume that the technology that allows us to receive the information we need to navigate our home turf on a typically uneventful day will always work because it always has worked. The assumption is our Taurus are normally biased. And again, two parts to this. One is even if the technology works, these people knew like the shot across the bow, something wasn't right. So even if the technology would say, you are here, here's what to go. And you're like, in front of me, there's like a telephone pole down and everything is flames, right? Um, so, okay. Our baseline daily offloading to our technology has allowed us to adopt a less than critical mindset toward technology. It simply never occurs to us that our devices, our smart systems 
could fail to give us just-in-time control on a dark, smoke-filled night navigating maze-like roadways and life-threatening conditions on a burning mountainside. Whoa. So, can I get off that? So that was the read. Hope you liked it. I enjoyed doing that. Ben does a much better job. <laughs> so, you know, now I, I kind of wish I could go back and re-narrate um, School of Airs because I think I would do a better. I know I would do a better job the second time through it. Because after listening to Ben, like I took many pointers from Ben on how to kind of like I would pause myself, but like in general readings like that, I thought that was a pretty fun dynamic reading. Ben does it again. The book is amazing on audiobook when it comes out. You it, uh, will be amazed. So, um, so let's go over here to the uh, to the chat. Doc uses potion of eloquent speech. Wow, thanks, Grown Omega. So, um, <laughs> you know, I use the word informed a lot, and I never use that until my doctoral program. And my my advisor used it uh, a lot in our discussions, and would want me to use the word frequently in my dissertation. Like th these findings were informed by da da da, you know, a literature review of this or a discussion with this researcher. So I kind of use it a lot now, and it throws people off a little bit, like in day to day conversations. Um, but they also kind of think it's cool. So I'm not trying to impress people or anything. <laughs> like I'm not trying to like out wordsmith people, but I use I, the word informed. I I use quite a bit. Um, by the way, my uh, my my book, The Velocity of Information, is uh, is nominated for a a semantics award. Um, of more, I'll share about that upcoming. This is kind of new and developing um, in, in the state of New York. Um, semantics is word meaning. So um, one of the things that I, I feel that I accomplished in the velocity of information is of things that all of us were experiencing but didn't have the words for, like uh, finite voltage, 90 days in the chaos. We, we're getting frustrated. We're burning out. We're getting angry. People are depressed, suicides, things like that. That term is finite voltage, right? What happens beyond 90 days when you're like, I'm not taking the Christmas tree down. I'm going to turn it into a St. Patrick's Day tree and, you know, put shamrocks on it, and then the 4th of July tree. Crowd and behavior, surrounding, surrounding ourselves with things that make us feel comfortable, but that really means that we feel that the outside world is is very chaotic, it's dangerous, and we're not ready to like go into that world. We're going to kind of cocoon from that world. Crowd and behavior, so we talked about that. The Taurus, our sense of similarity. So giving people words um, to describe things that they encountered, that they feel, that they went through. And uh, I thought that was that was a big um, asset of the book, semantics, right? Giving meaning to that wet bulb effect, meaning we had a show on that, right? Um, wet bulb is typically humidity, if we just want to think about it. If things are really humid and hot and you're doing stuff outside, uh, you want to limit or not do as much because you, if you can't evaporate the heat off yourself. Well, there, there's a similarity, right, with bad information during chaotic times, like pandemic stuff, like back in like April of 2020, like everywhere you go, it's like dynamic signs, every fire you get, every email you get, everybody's talking about it. The news, you can't get away from it. So it starts to warp your thinking, right? It starts to to kind of boil you in this wet ball, this humidity, you can't evaporate off from this. You can never get away from it. Even if you go and you're meeting up with, you know, 
somebody else on a social or on a, a Zoom call, like the first five minutes, they're just talking about pandemic stuff. So, um, so, so how do you recognize when you're kind of being boiled in this wet bulb effect? And then how do you, how do you get out of that? Which I talk about in the book, like here's like 12 ways to kind of escape the wet bulb. And I used it like there's an there's a completely awesome story. I'm not going to rehash it, but there's this awesome. I'll maybe do a show on it, but there's this awesome story of where my daughter was nine at the time. School shut down, and like she, you know, we told her can't have your friends over. It's the start a pandemic. You can't go anywhere. You, know, you can bike around the yard, but I mean, we don't don't really know what's going on. And it really had a weird effect on her and other kids like right because they're used to having a lot of things happen that's what moves them through time and suddenly when these events don't happen and then she's getting weird information from her friends oh they're ripping out the playground which didn't happen at all but and uh, i quickly kind of picked up on that and was like what can i do to what does she need one is she needs to know that things around her haven't changed as much as what the media and her friends have said and the second thing is like how do i create um a timeline that she can move forward through. And we did that through 13 videos. I got my camcorder out and um, the tripod and we went and I, you know, I said, where, where do you want to go? Like, what are places you want to see? Well, I want to go see the school and the playground stuff. And then like, okay, we'll do that. And plus we'll do like Walmart, plus we'll do like the hospital, plus we'll do like the armory. <laughs> Cause we had, we have like an armory in town. That was kind of my thing. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff showing up at the armory or like the airports next to the armory. It's kind of a sign for dad here that maybe things, but none of that was really happening. And then she did her reporting. And then like at the armory, I think she was like doing, running the camera and I was doing the reporting, but we did 13 videos and um, we never made those public. That wasn't for public, but we would come down here in the studio and then we would edit these videos and do little like weird effects and stuff like that just to, but we would date those and right. So, so then she compare one to another, next one to another. And, and, uh, and that was a good way to transition her through chaos. And that's a very important part. It's early on in the book, and it's, some, it's a strategy I think you can use with a lot of people during chaotic events is to help them obtain, I observed, metadata, transition them forward through chaos. We just don't think about it. So um, even better, this is Jim, insider under the ground, pull, bury them coils and cross line. Yeah, now I think, right. So, so um, we're talking about... Um, somebody we know up in Alberta, Canada, who built a new house, who has an outdoor pool. So, yeah, I don't just think, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just look at that and I'm like, I don't, but it's my own bias. Like, I mean, it's, it's his house, his family, things like that. So that's fine. I'm just like, holy smokes, man. Like that's gotta be a short window to kind of time things out for that. But, um, I've got my own plans for poop day, but uh, allies are always welcome. Yeah, no kidding. Plus 5% speech craft for about 600 seconds. Okay, I don't know what that means. Let me know. Um, just in try is too damn much when crap hits the fan. Just, yeah, just in time, right? Right, that is a thing, Jim. We have become so just in time, and again, I think there are points here that people kind of gloss over in this whole Gatlinburg, you know, 2016. That is, although the communication systems went down and the internet and all that, even if you knew exactly where you were, 
the environment around you was completely chaotic and nonlinear, right? Um, you, the road, the roads could be blocked. Um, so what is your plan B? I mean, things were, were happening so quickly. It was just in the moment, collapse of physical time. So the point there was, and you've got it, like you're right on. Um, people rely so much on this just-in-time technology, but they it also there's this this it has to interface with what's actually happening. And this was Fukushima was another great example of this. Like people in the Fukushima, um, in the Fukushima earthquake, right? They still had access to their like Google Maps and things like that, but the surroundings changed in the roads and all of that changed because they've been ripped apart by the earthquake. So you had to, you kind of knew where you were, right? But what you looked at, your landmarks were gone. So that's the thing in this too is like, you know, I, I, I think a point I'm trying to drive home here is your gut feeling. And this, this was again, so evident in the studies after the fact of talking to people who lived there their entire lives and people who had been vacationed there, or whatever, they just said, I thought somebody else in charge would tell me, even though for two days, I saw the top of, you know, the Smoky Mountains were on fire. Like I saw that, right? And that's really weird. Um, I just thought somebody would would tell me. So, and that's the point where I think you have to assume, ass out of you and me, right? But assume that no one's going to to tell you, right? Or or it's going to be too late, or like it's. If your gut feeling is telling you get out of here, then get out of there, and or or get in your member check and just say like this is, you know, whatever. But I mean, so, and again, people do weird things nowadays. Like people of this example of the local municipalities and emergency services saying, well, we put things out on social media. They kind of do that because they they think people go to social media that that's the only way they get their information. They don't do. Again, the sirens are going up and down the hills like they would have done 20 years ago. Um, or, you know, those types of things, the, the emergency broadcasts. They, they, or it's just weird. Like they just think everybody is going to go to their website to find out what's going on. Um, it's, it's this whole passive thing. I saw it a lot as an expert witness, right? A lot of, of people trying to defend things of saying, well, if you would have just gone to our website or our student handbook or whatever, and it's like, well, <laughs> great, right? But that's also passive. Um, so if it is something as high stakes as suicide prevention, right? I want some explanation on that. I want to be able to ask questions or I want some professional development on that versus like just saying it's in a handbook. So, um, but Jim makes a great point here on the just in time. So just in time can be a, a really a two-edged sword. Um, there are a lot of times it can really, really help you out but again, like if you if we take this example of Gatlinburg and I put it early on in the story, and I wrote this very carefully, very intently. This has very short sentences, and I think they get shorter as you go through it. And and I wrote it that way um, because I wanted the reader to feel like they were being, they were kind of like tumbling down this hill, right? They're being pushed down this hill faster and faster. So the the actual chapter has a lot of design and style that I put into it. So, and I'll talk to people 
right now who like you know they love the book and stuff like that and i'll and we'll talk about this chapter and i say yeah one of the things i did in that chapter like early on and to try to hook you right into the book was to make this a really fast out of control chapter and i did right and there's certain ways you know and the paragraphs are short and things like that and you don't see that when you get into part four where i kind of get into some some deeper um heavier concepts of like you know propaganda throughout you know, messaging in the last hundred years and stuff like that. But this chapter is really meant to be basically have you on the mountain with the brothers and rush you down the mountain. And uh, it does it really well. And I, I had my peer reviewers like that was a, that was one thing I had them monitor on this chapter. I'm like, does it, does this chapter feel like it's kind of like um, almost pushing you? Um, and you can't do that too long with a reader or else it'll be like, it feels uncomfortable, but you can do it in short, spurts and it's worked really really well so there's a, there's these you know stylistic components of the book which now they're kind of getting recognized that the book is getting nominated for more awards and things you know i said yeah there's there's intentful stylism to the book um you could always do a re-release using your voice yeah i would you're right bacon i wouldn't i mean um i'll be honest when ben hawk when i was um when I was able to finalize the agreement with Ben Hawk, like that's <laughs> um, that's signing your number one free agent, right? Like he is so good. I mean, Ben is is a prominent actor. He is an expert in semantics. Um, he is um, he's an author, right? He's he's written books. Um, he. Uh, in addition, you know, he's, he's taught improv. He's, he had everything. Um, and while, yeah, I, I, I probably could do like a serviceable when Ben did this narration and you'll experience that when you get, when the audiobook is released, it was everything that I wanted. Um, I mean, you go through many narrators and even Ben and I, we had, you know, we talked about that about a week ago. And we just said it's kind of a perfect fit because this was this is a high interest area of Ben's. He's really um, um, yeah, uh, fluent in in kind of nonfiction and and where the book themes were, the semantics of the book, and of course, like he knows how to deliver the you know the 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 message, how how to keep somebody engaged for six hours and forty minutes. And the thing is, like. If the book didn't have 10 interviews, if I didn't have Linda Stone and Larry Lawton and Robert Travis and Aaron Sawyer, I'm, I might have in my I, I might have narrated it myself. And my current um, sound engineer was like was willing to do that. Like he's like, Yeah, you can come in and narrate. The thing is though, I owed it to the people I interviewed. I owed it to those 10 people to really bring in um, the talent. And the truth is, you know, Ben is, is that is just his, that is his expertise, right? He is so good at that. And I love it. I listen. And there are also like things that he does with block quotes to set them apart a little differently. I mean, it, I mean, it would take me years and years and years. I'm just, I would love to think I could get to that level, but, um, but no, it was, it's yeah. Enjoy it as much as I do. Like he is just so He did such a great job on it. Um, I'm, I wish now I could go back and re-narrate um, School of Errors, which I won't do. Like, I think I did a good job the first time. And again, the sound engineer makes it sound much more coherent and cohesive than what it was. But I learned so much from Ben 
I would kind of pause and do that. I would say you'll like School of Errors, and it's not going to be very expensive, right, as an audiobook, um, because it it actually does capture a lot of like the the anger and the disagreeability I have with the safety industry. But uh, again, velocity of information with um, uh, with Ben is is just absolutely is absolutely awesome. So the retail sample, you know, he completed. So I might release the retail sample, which is like three minutes twenty six seconds early, maybe in the next month or so. Um, and get, and get that out there so people can kind of get a, get an idea for what, uh, what's coming down the road. But, uh, yeah. So I appreciate that you think I could narrate that and I'm sure I probably could. I just, it, it's, and I listened to my own narration, compo- you know, uh, compared to Ben's and, uh, it's just, it's, it's no comparison, right? That's, it's just, he is so good, um, and so again, when when I was able to to um, bring in uh, Ben Hawk to to be the narrator for the velocity of information, that was a huge score <laughs> for this book and for this work to pair it up with that type of talent. Um, and uh, and it is every it is everything that I hoped it would be. So uh, it's it's really exciting. Unfortunately, right by contract is this quirky thing of like it can't release until April first of twenty twenty three, um, with my publishing contract. Um, but it's all done; it's all ready to go. So like, you'll probably see it before long. Like it'll be up in Audible and all these other places. Amazon it'll be like audiobook, but not releasing till whatever. School of Errors will release sooner. This is a Chrome Dome Omega Fourth of July tree plus real Christmas tree equals quick burning fire everywhere. Yeah, no kidding. So how do you keep those things hydrated? Hey, it's our good friend, DLD. This is what's up, Bacon and Jim. DLD. Da-da-da. It's our good friend, DLD. Um, oh, wait a second. Chrome Dome is saying, it's all right. I'm off to bed. Got to go in a few hours. Hey, thanks, buddy. And I hope you subscribed. I don't think you're new here, but thank you for showing up. Thanks to you. Um, tell all your friends here about your new favorite book, The Velocity of Information, showing up in libraries all, all over the world. It's a great read. God, you read the story about Robert Travis. I interviewed him several times, the crab, crabo deckhand, who now has this huge uh, concrete uh, finishing business in in Texas, and and plus like uh, um, survival boats, like five hundred people work for him. It's just crazy. Um, like a lot of these people went on to like, I interviewed them, like Aaron Sawyer. Redline VR when it was like just getting battered by the stay-at-home orders and you're a non-essential business. And now he has like two businesses and they're thriving and, you know, they have uh, bands coming in and improv and all this stuff. And it's like, so it's kind of cool because like I interviewed, but well, you know, during the pandemic, like you're interviewing a lot of people also kind of at their like really worst time, their struggle time. And now like they're beyond that and they'll talk. And so they were talking about like how they're getting through the struggle. And I don't think that, if I interviewed them today, they would have remembered it the same way. Cause it was in vivo. It was in the moment. Like they were telling me like Aaron Sawyer, like I had to, I had to buy a license, $250 license to be a office instead of a VR, you know, but anyway, it's really cool. It's really cool. How that worked out. Um, anger and frustration is important. True. Yeah. Recognizing those and channeling those never underestimate the power of, of effing up. True. Yeah. 
You know, I'll say that like when I didn't, when I did the audio book, like I learned a lot of things and I made a lot of mistakes. My sound engineer was awesome, really patient guy, like my age. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I'm just not better at this. Um, and he'd be like, yeah, it's all right. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad I did it though. And I, I learned a lot from the process, but also, you know, and I, I think when I worked with um, preparing the script for Ben, I was able to prepare it um, very well for him. And then as we worked together, it was super efficient because I had been through it myself. Like I kind of, I, I, I knew some things. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of work into preparing a script for narration. Like, you know, words that might be a little bit tricky or sentences that get a little bit long, you might run out of breath and you know, kind of like, what do you do for like a block quote or what do you do for like a figure? Are you going to narrate or going to direct someone to see the PDF document or whatever, but everyone does, but perfect practice makes perfect. So yeah. And I don't see my, and this is one of those things where like, I don't see where I'm going to be narrating books down the road either. So it's kind of not my thing. I, by contract, Jim, I had to narrate school of errors. It was, um, it was a contractual, it was a requirement. If it was going to be an audiobook, it had to be me. It couldn't be anybody else, which was a weird thing published by, you know, my publisher, but appreciate my publisher, but it was just a weird kind of stipulation in there. So, um, otherwise I, I frankly, I probably wouldn't have narrated that book, but I narrate that one because that was the only way that would get out in audio. And because I narrate it, <laughs> it's also coming in at a lower cost. People listening, it's not bad. It's just that it's not professional narrate. Now, velocity of information is wow, right? I mean, professionally, Ben Hawk. Uh, yeah. So, Jim is saying cut pine is only good for three things furniture, control, bonfires, and mulch. No kidding. I'm glad I don't have pine trees in my yard. I have spruce in the back, which I don't really care about too much. But if you have pine trees, everything dies underneath it, right? The, too acidic. It's too hard to keep grass growing. So, um, Robert Harrison, a DLD channel member, channel number, channel, channel member. What's up? Hey, is our good friend Guns and Bacon? No, sorry, Guns and Barbecue. Guns and Bacon. Guns and Barbecue. Appreciate you, buddy. Guns and Barbecue was a guest on the show. You want to go back, uh, Jonathan Berger, checking out. We talked, this was a really great show we did about essential, non essential, how that impacted truckers, right? And also, this whole, and I, I still am a full believer of this campaign that never happened, that should have happened, was like brown bags for truckers. And that it, that National Guard should have been um, assigned to truck stops to make sure that truckers had showers, food, basic medical care. And then communities would have rallied and put together, let's say, a brown bag. And inside would have been, you know, 10 things for truckers, uh, handwritten thank you and um you know, chunky soup and, and like a 3D printed spark or things like that. I mean, these are all things like that Jonathan and I talked about. It's really good. I still am going to go back and do a journal article on that podcast. It's on my list of things to to do here. Right now, of course, you know, everything is, is really fired up with the uh with the audiobooks and stuff like that. But um but yeah, like that is that is really um it's it's an I don't know. It actually could be more than then I think I'll just start it out. Obviously, I'm not going to write a whole book about it right away, but I would. I'm going to do it as a journal article, and I need to get a little more information. Um, I'm going to do like a split fold journal article on. It. I think on the the truckers, I'm going to do like a second article about 
what the capacity of 3D printing is during emergencies. Flying Rich was on my show. We did it. We talked about that. And I think there's even more that could come into that. But uh, but anyway, the bottom line, Guns of Barbecue, appreciate you, buddy. Truckers got hosed during the essential, non-essential. Um, and they continue to get hosed to this day. I don't appreciate it at all. I appreciate truckers. I don't appreciate what's happening. But, uh, you know, where I live, we're, we live on a major interstate. And when, um, you know, everything was closed down for truckers and they're having to sleep in their vehicles and pee in the woods, right? I mean, realistically, right? Um, we have a fairgrounds, which is right off the interstate. And, you know, I don't know, what's the capacity? I was running for city council. I didn't get voted in, but 30 to 50 trucks overnight. I mean, it would have been first time awkward or whatever, but you could have done it. Like you could have had some ice come down, people bring in some food and some supplies and, and whatever. I mean, short term, I mean, it's weird. Right. Um, but I had, I, anyway, I, I really appreciate truckers. I think truckers completely got shafted during, um, the whole essential non-essential I wrote, I think it was like Arizona opened up two waysides that had been closed for truckers to go to as like extra waysides and, Right. So you could be like driving essential during the pandemic and, and everything could be parked up, right? You didn't have a place to park and you park alongside um, a wayside and you get a $200 fine. The whole thing was ridiculous. Just didn't make any sense. But hey, Guns Barbecue, appreciate you. And you are the guy I believe is going to leave reviews for my books. So we should be in contact. If not, get a hold of me. So, um, Bacon saying, how did I not notice that living in pine country? Yeah, God, I hate pine trees. And the sap and just all this stuff. I do love my spruce in the back because I just, it, it, it's a nice barrier in the back of my property. Um, but yeah. Uh, Jim saying, Michigan was all old growth pine before clear cut number one. Left coasters are a bit too tree huggy. Remember the wildfires? Yeah, three years ago. I do. Robert Robert Harris, an evening service are from Bacon. Or it's because of barbecue. Sorry, buddy. Hey, Robert Ribbit, says Jim. So so yeah, I you know I didn't I didn't mention in the velocity of information um, essential, non-essential. I didn't get into truckers. And I could have. Like there's just, I mean, when you write a book, there's so many things like you can go down into for chapters and things. But then at the end of the day, there's like a word range. There's a word range you have. So it's not pages, it's words. And so when you sign a book contract, it'll be like, it can be, we want it to be 58 to 65,000 words or something like that. So I don't know, a book comes in at 64,000 words, something. So it's, it's a word range. So you have to kind of prioritize and keep your themes and stuff like that. It doesn't mean that things aren't important. Because there are a number of things that were important. Like the book could have gone 300 pages, but it's really like, boom, right there in your face and great and exciting at 208. Um, but I, I I could have done a juxtaposition. I could have compared the um, the parades for nurses, right? You know, remember in the TikTok stuff and all the healthcare workers and then like the absence of that for truck drivers, right? Like there should have been the equivalent of that for truck drivers coming into town. And there wasn't anywhere. There wasn't. And, um, and that was noteworthy. But when I would, if I was trying to write about it though, with velocity of information, it didn't really, 
I, I didn't have a good way to transition into that. So in the way that the book was written, but I, I do, when I talk about the book, so which I do pretty frequently, you know, I talk to groups about the book and stuff like that. It's like, I, I, I just say like, is it, is, you know, is it just me, right? Or is it, does it seem really weird that we did not have this, uh, this recognition, this appreciate, this very overt recognition of, of, um, over the road haulers during, during, um, 2020, like, you know, and, and we also didn't see over the road haulers doing TikTok videos, right? I mean, maybe there were, you could say any industry profession had some of these happening, but I mean, just as a gen general rule, like that didn't happen. The industry just kind of dug down and did what they needed to do. Um, but again, like I will continue forever to say that truck drivers got hosed uh, in 2020 and probably continue to get hosed to this day. Um, it is really a sore spot, but it's a part when I talk and I kind of can open things up a little more with lots of information and audiences as people ask questions and stuff like that is to to bring their awareness to that and say, you know, wh why was this not there, right? And if this if something happened in the future, right, like why wouldn't we do this or or what could we do like what this whole brown bag and this is where i need to to put this article together based upon the interview i did with um jonathan berger guns of barbecue is to say like what do we what do we do how do we support like over the and even that is like just basic minimum right i mean that's not like but just as a recognition and and um you know like having laundry facilities at uh portable laundry stuff at a couple of waysides and stuff. So some laundry could be done or some other things like it just didn't make sense. Um, and like I said, and I, it'll, it'll bother me to this day is something I mentioned when I wrote, when I was running for political office here in my community, you know, like if I would have, if I would have been voted in, um, you know, that would have been something I would have wanted those. Um, I, I would have wanted attention to, I mean, where we were located up to what could we have done and what could we do in the future? I didn't get voted. I got smashed. Man, I found out I have really like 60 good friends, 60 people willing to support me in my area, <laughs> which I guess is okay. But a lot of people not, which was really weird. I uh, I didn't expect to get, uh, to get crunched like that, but it was all right. I mean, like I woke up the next day and I was like, it is what it, well, I, oh, I saw it that night, like when it was, all got posted. I was like, yeah, it is what it is. But it's like, holy smokes, man, you guys really, really put the hammer here to the dock. Um, Jim, you just need guns of barbecue His next barbecue show. I'm willing, if anybody wants to send me uh, anything jerky, I'm up for it. I've had bear jerky, a little, little fatty. Blue spruce are good growing snow fencer. Yeah, I have blue spruce in the back. My dad and I, Jim, planted those when I moved here 20 years ago. And he brought them down in five gallon pails and they were probably like two foot tall. <laughs> and uh, I planted three and I cut one down because it was in an area that was too crowded in by other trees. And these other two are now like 50 feet tall. So they're just cr growing crazy because it's sandy soil, right? And there's really no competition. And um, they put a really good buffer at the end of my, my property. So... Uh, yeah, out of like our fireplace room, if you look out the window, you see these two. I used to decorate them with white lights in the winter, but now 
you know, <laughs> now they're 50 feet high. Like I'm not, I'm not taking that on. Let somebody else do that. Um, smoke between two cookie sheets, messy, but effective, especially if legit wood smoking. So if you ever want to send jerky to me, contact me, I'll give you my address. My, I don't know what that is, Jim, but, uh, You've got the moderators, so I trust you. Those wildfires directly killed my friend. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, my wife and daughter went down there for um, last summer. My daughter is, a, is on a dance team. They were down there in the Gatlinburg area. So everything was okay, but, you know, as we as we went down there, you know, we kind of had this talk of here's what happened there a couple of years ago, and there was really nothing in the mix, but, like, yikes. Um, burned down his trailer. The guy got his wife and kids out himself too, but the small content living was too much. I dodged and, oh God, no. Holy smokes. I'm really sorry to hear that. Yikes. They were getting holes before 2020 during 2020. Yeah, I know. It. I, and I appreciate you saying that. And I, um, I'm very overtly, I, you know, we have relatives, um, who are over the road. Uh, haulers as, as their profession and um that that be that started to become a very high point in my campaign for political office which no one really seemed to to chime in and resonate the same that i did but um and when i you know velocity of information i think i just i point out when i talk to people like when we talk about like you know the nurses and tiktoks and now the the fire department and police would be expected to do these parades for the you know, the nurses and doctors and medical workers coming in, like that was so one-sided, right? The fact that we didn't do that for over the road haulers. And I guess, you know, you could go other industries, but I would say over the road haulers, I would just put that as my number two. Like that was so critical. It is so critical, but at that time there was nothing. And uh, it really bothers me. And, uh, you know, and I pointed out, and I think people feel guilty a little bit. I, I sense it when I talk to people about that. I'm like, it's, this is, really sucks, right? Like it, it really, as a society, it's just not a good indicator because even this whole brown, you could have Menards like donate these bags, right? And do up some, you know, thank you truck drivers and and a list of what people could donate and things like that. And then you have truck stops, truck stops and these truckers would come through and you could have, you know, and, and beyond the bag, right? But some laundry things and making sure that the National Guard was there maintaining the truck stops. I mean, there were other there were just things that should have been done. And this whole, this whole garbage stuff of like during the pen, during the pandemic, like April and March, April, May of, you know, during the really crazy times of getting uh, supplies of finding people, finding truckers. If um, the truck stop area was full and they had to park, um, you know, to us, to the side you know, they woke up in the morning with a $200 ticket as Jonathan Berger would say. So um, I just think that's complete garbage. Um, I, yeah, it really irritates me. So, but again, I will be doing a journal article on that and bringing, bringing uh, more attention to, I know it's, it's not the same as a book or a chapter in a book or something. It's not that I omitted it because I don't think truckers are important. It's just, it didn't, it didn't fit in the book. Um, it didn't work in, I, 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 you know, I kind of shade it to it. Like there's a mention to it, but I, um, it, the, it didn't work. It wasn't a match for that book, but it is totally a match. Although I, I do talk about this when I teach my administrative courses um, about, you know, this whole essential, non-essential, and we start to like figure this out. And then, you know, and people get really, they, they, I mean, they just don't realize like, well, 
you know, what, what, what was the right thing to do from a government perspective? And then also like, would people have rallied around? Like people, I, you know, my friends were that had 3d printers were making, you know, parts for ventilators, all that was open source and mask and things like this and donating. But would you have made things that you could 3d print it as Jonathan Berger was saying, Guns of barbecue, such as um, things that might have clipped on a vent where you could redirect air so you could, like, you know, truck drivers could better cool themselves down or whatever, heat themselves up, or like a 3D printed spork type thing, right? Or, or, or you know, some of those things, whatever it is. Like, I, you know, if we just would have sat down and thought about what goes in, what, what are things that could have gone into the bag? Um, I just don't know. And, Another another thing I think we came up with too is like, you know, could there have been things like um, audio files that would have been available to truckers? Like, could there have been specific, more curated audio files that people, they could have loaded into like Sirius XM or something? I don't know, but I do know, had you actually had a committee on this, which I wrote about like the Committee for National Morale, and we kind of talked, I talked about fitness because I thought everybody could relate to that. Every Not everybody could relate to the truck driving but um, like that would have been a second if I got into truck driving. But the, the, the thing is like people would have felt they were part of something like, you know, how you, you can contribute. We're not talking about a, um, um, a GoFundMe page or anything. We're talking about actual physical things people could do. You know, I'm going to write a thank you to um, truck drivers and I'm going to, yeah, drop it off at whatever, right? Or remember when the scouts would come around and pick up food at your door or something? Maybe there's a certain day when there's certain things you're doing for truckers and it's going to be out at local truck stops or whatever. I don't, or, or waysides. Well, waysides, a lot of them were even closed, which really sucked. Just makes me angry. <laughs> I don't know. So, honestly, things that would mean the most to truck drivers is from Guns Barbecue. A handshake and a thank you. People driving more courteously, uh, putting their phones down, drivers being smart about. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, buddy. And you know, one thing I do personally, I do is like, I, I use my blinkers and especially use them with semis because I kind of think like when I'm like merging in or out, like that's always showing like I'm respecting you. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, so any, but even what you're saying right here, uh, guns of barbecue, even these things, where was a public service announcement, right. On, TV, right? Or from the government saying, hey, like right now, you know, your truck drivers are bringing food to your stores and medical supplies to your hospitals. So, you know, uh, a couple, a couple things like, you know, truck drivers need more space, you know, when driving or these things or whatever, or, you know, just like three things, like just to acknowledge that nothing, nothing. Um, God, I don't know. It all comes down to communication who controls. Yeah, it does. Absolutely does. The government did a really, when you read the velocity of information, the thing is, Heath, like back, if you, when you read the velocity of information and you get into World War II and the Committee for National Morale, which the United States had, the Committee for National Morale, which employed, or or, or it, it was a putting together of um, the top movie um, producers, Frank Capra, the top artists, the top um, Pulitzer Prize writers, right? And saying, how do we communicate to people that we're about to enter a war and what their contribution or their sacrifice or whatever is going to be? 
And a lot of it got it down to um, very visual stuff, like, you know, big signage, right? Billboards and artworks and images and papers and things like that. But, um, but yeah, so you, what do you do now? You employ a czar of disinformation who comes on and does a TikTok video of, I'm da 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 expialidocious disinformation. It's baconocious. Inglewood, it's kind of a cool place unless you're at the deli and you can't get enough space. I don't know. But I'm like, holy smokes. Like we've gone from professionals, right? Of of looking at propaganda, not as a way to intimidate people, but a way to empower people to now just this, this, this almost childish um, that has no constructs, has no science behind it. Like I, one of the things that the book does, right, is it shows you that there were very, very good practices to engage people during chaotic times. In World War I in the U.S., it was Wilson's four-minute men, which was not just men, it was women, but um, of, of giving these four minute speeches to increase morale. And then in world war II, it really got polished with this committee for national morale, which I might get into very ex detail about that. And today it's like, we have none of that, none of that. And, uh, you know, and what do we get? We get a, we, we get someone appointed as a disinformation czar who then comes on to a TikTok video and does some crazy weird thing, right? Um, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, and it's, it's not only, it's not only nuts, it's just so disrespectful. And it's, it's also like, I mean, the book like shows you this isn't the way that it was in, you know, the 1940s we had in before we had very good systems. We had very good thinking. It was very well coordinated. Um, and I'm saying propaganda in a professional way, not to intimidate, but to kind of inform and to persuade. And now it's, it's, it's these people who, yeah, single people, right. That you're pointing, this is the face of our propaganda. And this person comes on and does this, this, and I'm watching this of like, this is nuts. Like this is insane. Um, and, and people who don't read the book, right. Who don't have this knowledge, don't understand that this isn't the way that it was. So. Jim saying the federal land abutting the trailer park went up. It was so hot the trailer flames uh, frames melted. Apparently, no kidding. That was the issue on um, right with um, Gatlinburg. Right, the heat just started to explode. The propane tanks and just started to melt everything. Bacon saying uh, so. Southern Cascades would be somewhere in the middle of Oregon. Gotcha. B three, buddy. Appreciate you. Hi, Doc. I'm near the Skok Smokies. Okay, we'll take care. Yeah, that was a weird scenario, too, of, of drought and um, winds and low humidity. So just, and one of the things, like, I so early on in firefighting training, they teach you humidity, right? And if anything is wildfire, and just, like, just fire in general, like, you always typically get the advantage at night because humidity increases and dew point, and, and, uh, and so things don't burn as fast as at night, typically, Typically, so you, that's your advantage, but that was not the case. When you lose that advantage, oh god, then it's really bad. So, um, because his used Camaro steel unibody car was still there, holy smokes, Jim, 
I'm Oz the Great and Powerful. Do not look behind the curtain. Jim, I mean, the car burned, but the still body, unit body remained. Nothing but scorched earth remained for trailers. No kidding. It's horrible. Uh, an oblivious form of propaganda. Yes. Anyone else find it funny that all the platforms to broadcast the user? Are on? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like, here we go to like TikTok. And I wrote about that kind of in the velocity of information, but you know, the velocity of information went to the publisher back in September. So I mean, there's been changes and societal stuff since then, but um, it's really, it's, it's weird, right? The, the whole propaganda stuff is, I would describe it. And I want to come back on uh, future conflict. I was a guest on episode six and, and that's phenomenal. Joe Dolio. And I want to come back. But actually, I want to be—I I want to come back and be prepared um, and talk about um, the the contemporary propaganda is just to me really strange. Meaning that, and I say strange in that it's disjointed. And as a government, you could hire a firm of like four workers and tell them what to do. Like you don't have to have this this, this big overt thing, and and they would do a much better job. Or like even try to 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 go back and recreate some of the things that the uh, Committee for National Morale did. I can't underscore how important that was. The Committee for National Morale in the end of the Great Depression and World War II. But um, but so I wrote about it. Like it's very when you read the book, like you'll you'll be amazed. But um, but yeah, I'm like this isn't that hard. Like I mean, I, I joked about it. I'm going to be on the Mallard Report uh, May 10th. And I've been on a, a guest a few times before. The Mallory Report, by the way, which is awesome. Um, and uh, and and Jim and I, the the host, we talked about after the Hawaii missile crisis a couple of years ago as a guest. And I said, you know, the the cover stories coming out of that were insane, like insane, ridiculous, right? Like you know, first it was supposed to be just an internal like whatever message, and then it got sent to the public, and then this worker got reassigned, then this worker got fired, then people tried to find the worker a week later, and they couldn't, and they went to a residence where the worker was allegedly lived, and people were like, "This guy never lived here," and, and I'm like, "Go to me, like I will put together a awesome cover story for you. I understand propaganda. I'm a student here of Edward Bernays propaganda, which is a great, you know." five dollar paperback right um i'm like give me a couple hours i will give you a story that will be bulletproof right like i will i will put it together for you and uh and the thing is these people run into what i think is this conjunction fallacy where they try to to connect too many things together and then it falls apart your stories needs to be really simple one point that you just drive home and then you just put it there and you move on from it when you start to do this conjunction, like try to do too many facts, too many or too many corresponding details, it falls apart. And uh, but anyway, I'm like, just hire me. Like I'm here, I'm available. Everybody knows where to get a hold of me. Like come and contact me. I will, I will, I can, I will give you a cover story which will get you out of any situation. So, <laughs> uh, not saying any criminal situation, but like if it's Hawaii missile crisis, come to me. And in two hours, I will have the entire script down for you. And it'll be rock solid and it'll move you through time. But so so I see propaganda being not organized and that there's not a, a I don't know, communication propaganda division, right? And like why you would appoint this person and why you also would make this, this whole disinformation thing is really freaky, right? Like 
Department of Homeland Security, like what, you know, you can operate under outside of a lot of laws with, <laughs> with the Patriot Act. So, um, and it, but I'm like, wh why would you message it this way? Like, why would you even have this person meet? So let's say you, you did something like this, which I don't, I don't believe was necessary, but let's, let's say, so you did this, like I would, I would have it pre present it very professionally, right? I wouldn't have it done on some TikTok video of of the lady that I just appointed to this of saying expialidocious and disinformation is atrocious. Jim McIntosh drives a fast car, but we all can't we can't go that far. Bacon Maldito, he's our friend in Inglewood. You can get the food, but it may not be that good unless you go to Dismores. That is the place above it. You'll see a flying ace, but don't report it to the media because it's really not a flying saucer. All right. You know, stuff like that. Um, I just don't know. Like when you see propaganda being done very poorly, it's like, well, who are you working with? You have unlimited money and resources. You're the government. Like you, there's not somebody you could hire to do this for you. And then the question you quickly revert to, as I did, is, well, is this intentional? Is this to throw off, like, a bigger propaganda campaign? And, yeah, so that's where I want to come back on and, and say it's just really weird. I never thought I would see something. I remember talking with my priest. Um, yeah, my personal priest. My priest. Um, oh, God. Maybe, like, seven, eight years ago. And I said, you know, one thing that's really thrown me, and it was um, – it was during the Obama administration. I don't know who was who, but anyway, one of the um, cabinet members used the F word during an interview. I couldn't point it out, right? I don't, but I said, you know, like to me, that was a, a break in, in the, um, the social contract, right? With government, like, you know, you expect government officials to present a professional persona. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of, right, there's always been backdoor stuff, behind the scenes, things that happen. But you don't say the F word to the media and you don't show up, um, you know, for an interview without being, you know, having yourself together and, and, and respecting the position, right? I, and I said, I told him, I said, you know, that changed things for me. When I saw that, you know, like when I write my books, like I wrote The Velocity of Information, it has SHIT once as a quote from Larry Lawton in a very appropriate context of prison. That's it. That is the only curse word in the entire 64,000 words in the book. And I don't think there was one curse word at all in um, School of Airs. And, uh, and I said, you know, I just, I hold myself to such a high standard on that. And, you know, of course, presenting on PBS and all of that stuff. And I said, to, to not see that from people, I said, there's, there's a real sense of a loss of dignity in that, right? A loss of, 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 of you're not paying enough, um, you're not paying enough responsibility to, to the role, right? So if I'm, if I'm a cabinet member, I shouldn't be coming out and saying the F word or wearing jeans to a press conference or something like that. So, um, you know, like when, when, uh, Jen Psaki had her, um, yeah, subscribe to a thumbs up. We got 24 thumbs up. I know there can be more thumbs up. Go for it. 
Uh, my banners are going nuts. A couple quick, I have more to share here, but quick. Um, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. Get it. It's also coming out in uh, paperback in July. Order it now. It's cheaper. Um, it's a great book. Not only about school safety, right? But there's a lot of stuff in here about the social contract, kind of what we're talking about. Um, there's a super multi-chapter analysis. I worked with the New York City Department of Planning on we analyzed 9-11 from a psychological perspective. It's the only book that did that ever. So, And uh, New York City loves it. Um, my new book, which is uh, selling gangbusters across the world, actually more international sales than domestic right now, Velocity of Information, um, nothing like this written. <laughs> so I don't even know like if it'd be published today, but uh, this book is is uh, lights out awesome. So Velocity of Information, human thinking during chaotic times, especially during extended chaos, 10 interviews in here, 471 in notes, but it's conversational. You will love it. I wrote it for all of you. So check out those books. Um, so sucking wound of a chest. God, it's horrible. Uh, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you guys. Um, how he switches and routers bacon. Um, let's see here. Gotta read the mothers too, uh, from Bernays. Are you talking about, um, Edward Bernays here with propaganda. So this is again, really good. I think this was written in 28 and then it was redone in, yeah, it was published in 1928. And now this version I have was updated in 55. So propaganda, <laughs> which I mean, once you read it, it's short. I mean, so the, I don't know, this is a smaller paperback than mine. This is 163 pages. My book is 208 and bigger trim. Um, but it's like, you can quickly point out, you know, the, what is what is propaganda in your environment? But but I, I really am. Um, it really stands out to me how disorganized the propaganda is, and to the point where I'm kind of like, is this intentional? Is it? In, is there something much bigger going on through an organized propaganda? But I don't. In in no way would I have believed that uh, there would be the czar of of disinformation appointed one and that that would just go through like there wouldn't be immediate court challenges and knockdowns of that um and then that this person would come on and do this crazy tiktok video which completely um uh saps any respect from that position um it just blows it, it blows me away. It, it's really uh, it's unstable. It's destabilizing. It's it's not congruent with the way things have been done. It's uh, forgetting the past, and um, I don't know, but uh, it sucks. So unless you guys are like yay, but I'm not. It's not really propaganda anymore. They don't even try it more like gas. Yeah, you're right, Heath. I I wrote about I wrote about that in Velocity of Information that. March of 2020, the obvious response to propaganda at a national level would have been a fitness and nutrition campaign, probably more fitness. You could have done this for four to six weeks and gotten companies involved and everybody like that. I wrote about it. I wrote a whole section about it, right? I interviewed Drew Bay, you know, as a our friend, uh, fitness expert on this, but um, we know Right. And even Dr. Fauci said, you know, fitness increases your immune system. There were many studies and there were early studies during the pandemic that were coming out saying fitness increased immune system. And then those studies kind of got, you know, 
bye bye. But um, but you could have everybody largely involved in this and in, in competition boards, people logging in, and, and there was already this thing through the army. Um, fitness uh, portal in 2016 that had been put together. Like you could have done this. Amazon, other companies could have been giving like codes or benefits. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. So don't quit your day job. What does that mean, Andrew? I don't get it. So I'm kind of retired. So did I do something wrong here, buddy? I don't know. I don't know. I thought, I think Andrew's a friend, but I, I don't know how to read this comment. So please elaborate. Um, yeah. Um, Woody's barbecue is pretty solid. Jim, at least 2014 at Heath. Yes, by film of same, a full press fifth generation information war, at least. Yeah. To quote, falling down, I do not trust a man who never swears. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can show emotion and... You're right. I, in the context of what it was shown, it just didn't. It it, it was like being in the White House, and being a cab a cabinet member, just didn't have the level of res respect from the generations before. I don't know if it makes sense how I'm trying to describe that, but uh, I I just didn't think people were were taking the same. Um, what an honor. Right. What what a privilege it was to be in that position and how you you'd want to live up to that. Um circle back girl. I look back girl, disinformation, demoralizing agent. So bacon, more in international sales. I think that's what's showing up right now. But the publishers in London and then also in the US. So um, it might have released earlier in London. Like it's in the it's in Hong Kong. It's in the China, it's in the University of China. Um, which is really crazy, right? Like I didn't think at all that the book had it because um, School of Airs didn't make it into any Chinese that I'm aware of Chinese universities. But um, School of Airs just made it into Chicago public. But so here, um, let me pull this over. So this is, is updated. So the book is in right now showing up in 24, mostly university libraries, but this is just a sample. I know it's in many more than these, but this is just kind of like a feeler. But as you go, Library of Congress, dun, 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 right there, Library, it's a good thing, um, UCLA. The Chinese University of Hong Kong in Shatin, Hong Kong. Yes, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. The book is in the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Is also in uh, Universität Marburg in Germany, United Kingdom, United Kingdom, and so on. But uh, as we go through here, but anyway, yeah, the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Isn't that nuts? Let's see here. What happens when I click on it? Uh, no records found. They must not have logged it yet. So, but it is University of. So I can kind of check where the book is. That's only one sample, but yeah. 
doing well. Book is doing really well. Have a good night, all. Hey, thanks, Heath. Take care, buddy. I'm not going to lie. I love my Howie Media Pad. It was the best on market at the time it came out. I have a PDF link to the mother. It's not great, but it's mostly there. Gotcha. Propaganda, $33 billion to the DNC. I mean, Ukraine. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? To, um, you know, $33 billion, which seems to be kind of this ongoing loan. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. Uh, there's, a, there's just a lot of feelings, you know, with that, you know, like domestically and, you know, um, yeah, I'll just kind of leave it at that. But what happens with that $33 billion? Yeah, I think there's there's a real sense in listening to um, future conflict and, and just kind of an awareness that things could significantly escalate very quickly at any point, right? So, you know, R Russia loses their flagship, is sunk, um, but I'm... I'm just see a lot of potential for very, very bad things. So they were cheap to get, but uh, poison pill, old tactic, but effective. The purloined letter. Yeah, Jim. More recently, the Forge USDA futures report on frozen. <laughs> no kidding. Right? Yeah. Who would have who would have thought that? On uh right, that is one of my favorite movies, trading, uh, trading places, right, with uh, Eddie Murphy and and uh, God. So who who was who was in that movie? Eddie Murphy, the dude from Ghostbusters. So just kind of freaking right now. But yeah, that was a that was a great movie. So Frozen, Concentrated, Orange Juice, um, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, absolutely. So. That was back right when kind of I mean I'm I'm glad I grew up in the heyday of movies. I'm I'm glad when I was like in high school and and college like you could go to movies like this like you know trading places and but yeah be right back try to fetch a link. So stuff is just it's just non-existent right now. Um So a few things here is Jim is fetching a link um, that the um, safety PhD, which is down below here, is where you can obtain everything. Every show I've done is there. It has a, it's in video, it's an audio. There's also a blog post. Um, both of the books, you know, are available, Amazon or other places that you buy books. And if you do read the books, please leave a review on Amazon. It was really cool because this week, the 50th review for Velocity of Information was posted, which was really cool. Um, you know, especially a school safety book, you know, so it's kind of got its, its niche, right? It's genre. Uh, the 50th review went up and I'm like, wow, and it's just, it's really cool because when I wrote that to think that anybody was, you know, going to review it and, and uh, you know, the book um, continues to gain its audience and continues to be in the discussions of school and community safety. And, and now I think we're up to seven reviews. If I'm accurate here for the velocity of information and that's exciting to see the reviews start to, to roll in there. Um, and 
Yeah, so let's just do a quick check here on Amazon. Yeah, there's seven reviews up for that. There's 50 reviews for the Velocity of, uh, or for School of Errors. So it's really good. Um, so yeah, I feel good about, and those reviews have all been awesome. Uh, School of Errors has um, 49 out of 50 are five star, and one is four star. But the four star did not leave a, a narrative review. <laughs> so. I'm like, okay, but uh, but yeah, so I'm excited and I kind of want to figure out what to do here to promote the books in the next couple in the next year or two, yeah, and then kind of just in general. Um, so one of the things I've been thinking about very seriously, and I have a call, a conference call tomorrow morning at nine o'clock about this, but uh, I ended my consulting business last year when I re entered retirement. And, uh, and now I'm like, I don't know. I, you know, just with, you know, the economy, right. And inflation and things like that. Um, I think it might behoove me to explore restarting parts of the consulting business. Um, because right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not immune from inflation and, uh, you know, and it hits me more and maybe like, you know, food and, and insurance and, you know, taxes, right. My property taxes went up 22% over last year. And, and, uh, you know, thankfully like, you know, we don't travel we don't, for jobs. Like I don't have to, it's, so I like everything would be remote down here, but, uh, but so, yeah, I did reach out to, uh, some of my past clients and I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of revisiting after being away from a year of, of returning, some limited capacity and they were all interested and one of them we have a call tomorrow and another one is the day after and uh and, and another one is the day after that actually so three days in a row here but um so we're going to talk about what that um what it means and i'm kind of mixed like i, I don't i don't think i would have done this have the economy not fallen apart but it's kind of this hedge right you never like i i mean none of us know i mean what if gas gets to $10 a gallon or, you know, your, you know, your grocery bill doubles or triples, right? Or, I mean, just, I, I just, there's a sense you got to position yourself defensively. And even though, like, I thought I had done that, like, I just, um, I just don't feel I can, can kind of keep going that way um, without, maybe restarting some of the consulting on a little bit of like a hedge to just offset some of that stuff. Um, so I don't know, but anyway, I do have a call like, you know, tomorrow I have three calls in a row with three uh, previous clients that I decided to, you know, exit the, the um, arrangements um, and to, you know, revisit and say, Hey, well, you know, what are some ways, we might work together into the future and I want to keep it to like three days. I don't want to go beyond that. Cause when I, my, I started my consulting, so I retired and then I started consulting at three days and I, I push out to five days during the pandemic, which really was like six days because you're always doing something on the weekend. And that just was, was too much, um, too many hours. And then, I mean, people like if I would have worked a hundred hours, like people would have taken it. And, uh, and I was charging quite a bit, but I mean, it just wasn't, it just wasn't making sense. 
So then like, it was okay, then get out of it. But now then inflation hits, right? You know, in this past year and it's just this other stuff and really weird stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine. So, so I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, maybe I just revisit this and just come straight out. <laughs> I'm very upfront with people like, yeah, be three days total or whatever it is. And, you know, here are the things, but, um, but because I did leave on very, I mean, excellent, excellent terms with everybody. Um, those, all those doors remain open, I think, but anyway, we'll see. Jim is trying to still fetch this link. My goodness, where's this link? So, but I don't think I would, I would start, um, any of my contract stuff up until August because I need to be out biking. I need to be enjoying things. Um, you know, we've, again, we've had such a cold below normal spring, like, you know, it's 50 degrees today. It snowed last week. And I don't want to just dive into a lot of work stuff. Plus, I want to give a lot of um, time to my promoting my books and uh, book events and stuff like that for the next, you know, a couple of months. But, uh, but yeah, there there is there is this thing of when you do the consulting, this passage of time, especially here in Wisconsin, because the winter is so long, right, you know snows in November, it's snowing in April and, and it's just, you're not, I'm not, not out biking, you're not doing things. And, and, um, it, time starts to slow for you. So when I was doing consulting time flew, like it was, it was, it got to be a lot, but like the, it moved really fast. So even I was writing too, like the book, right? So the pandemic went by really fast for me in those aspects, but like this past year of not having that consulting, that's what kind of like my retired friends tell me is like, you know, unless you're like in a warm weather climate and you can get out and golf and, you know, kind of do these, these things on a pretty regular basis. Like I'm here where it could be, you know, literally like five months where the high might be 30 and it's snowy and icy. So like, what do you do? Um, that doesn't really work well. So that's where I'm kind of like, well, if I flip back the consulting on a part-time basis, you know, it's something to do. It's not over stretching my capacity and uh you know uh and then you know any of that extra money on that can kind of just get flipped into some of the things that we do in summer or, or we can step it up a little bit on some of the vacation stuff we do um but yeah we we booked out our uh, summer vacation stuff back in december and it was a really good move because like the <laughs> the place the prices went up substantially um so we are all you know we're all locked in but uh but yeah it's it's really weird i was thinking too like you know we went to disney in 2017 and i drove the family to disney which i'm glad i did got to see parts of the u.s i didn't see before stayed in paducah paducah kentucky which i thought was a pretty cool place i think like we we ate at this like uh you know in town family restaurant place the whole meal was like 20 bucks. It was like for barbecue pork and other things. And I'm like, it was just crazy cheap as back in 2017, like crazy cheap, like unbelievably cheap, good food, great food. Like you kind of know, like when the fire department, like their fire engine was parked outside and like their firefighters are eating there and everybody. And, and it's kind of a weird thing. Cause I'm like, why is this not more money? Like, uh, this is kind of weird, but, um, but yeah, so I really I had a good time. We had a good time in Disney, but like today, like, I wouldn't 
I don't have any desire to go back to Disney, not with the politics going on. And I have friends who recently went to Disney and they said the experience is not the same. You can tell it's not as precise. The workers really aren't into it as much. You can start to see some, that it, 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 it just does not have the feel. Like when we went there in 2017, and I've never been to Disney before, I mean, but it's for some of the kids, like it really had like that super feel, like everybody's completely role-playing and like going out of their way and all of this. And they just said, yeah, it's, it's it, there's just a sense it's not, it's kind of half-hearted, right? Um, so I'm like, yeah, so then, well, you know, but anyway, man, even here, it doesn't snow in April. Who knows when that'll change? Oh God, the weather sucks so bad here this year. It is like we, we had bacon. We had like 50 days in a row where it was below normal by like 15 degrees. Like, like the weather dude would be on and he'd be like, this is, you know, the coldest on record the last 55 days in a row. Like since it's been recorded. Yeah. It, it literally would just every day would be 15 degrees below normal. And then, yeah, these snowstorms and wind. I don't remember a spring as windy as this, like where you just would have like days where it'd be 40 mile an hour winds, like just the entire day, like no, no severe weather. Like just the whole day would be, it's 35 degrees with a 40 mile an hour wind, which was like, even a week ago we had that, um, which is strange. Like I was up in, I did my, uh, one of my graduate programs up in UW Superior, up in Superior, Wisconsin. So right on Lake Superior, literally like the university is a mile away. And there was a night, it was in like July, right? Probably July of like 2020, 21. Um, so yeah. And I was living in a dorm. I'd just been just married, but I was living in dorm solo. And uh, one night there was this, this massive wind and, uh, and it was coming from the land and headed toward the water and it was so intense that it was knocking over trees and street signs and it was hot so it was like a day when it was like 85 degrees and so so all of us are standing outside like what the hell's going on and what we learned was the lake had cooled and it created a low pressure it was sucking the air in from the land so all this and this happened like it was kind of rare but not that rare where people didn't recognize what was happening who were up there and it was just weird so you were just getting hit with this hot wind for like two or three hours straight at like 80 miles an hour and then it just ended <laughs> after it equalized out it was the weirdest thing uh disney no we went to disney world in orlando so yeah traveled the i4 we stayed in uh we took a couple days to get down there, a couple days to get back. We stayed in uh, Paducah, I, Paducah, I don't know what I want to say, Paducah, Kentucky, which I'd like. And there was a Civil War battle fought in Paducah, a small one. Um, and then um, it was really fascinating because the, so I made the reservations. We stayed, you know, at Best Westerns on the way down. That's one thing I learned, like I always make a reservation. So, but, um, but the dude at the Best Western, like, recognized me for making the reservation. And he was just so, like, it, it infatuated with Wisconsin. Like, what's it like to be in Wisconsin? The snow and the Packers. I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm like, if you know, it's okay to take a trip there, but dude, like, don't, don't, 
don't oversell it to yourself. Like, don't make the mistake of moving there. <laughs> like, whatever you do, don't don't think this is some kind of paradise where I'm coming from because it is not, my friend. Uh, I left and it was snowing and there was uh, snow piles on both sides of my driveway. But um, but yeah, he was just it was just amazing. Like, you know, to, what is it like? I'm like, I don't know. What do they talk about down here? Because like, it is. <laughs> but you were thinking and what I've been living my last 40 plus, you know, almost 50 years at that point. I'm like, it is not matching up. Um, he's a good guy though. But, uh, then we stayed in Dothan, Alabama, which is the peanut capital of the world. And every other like place you go, they have signs like boiled peanuts, which I, I have no, I, I've never had boiled peanuts. I don't know what those would taste like. I like peanuts, but, um, and, uh, and Dothan, um, yeah, Dotham was was uh, like their outdoor pool at the Best Western. Uh, the whole bottom of it was like covered with cigarette butts and like <laughs> candy wrappers, and I was like, "Yikes!" Uh, but anyway, that was a really weird Best Western, by the way. Um, so yeah, Dotham, Dotham, Alabama, and then we uh, then we got to Orlando. Had a really nice, really nice place. I forget where we stayed. Which which of the resorts at Disney? I don't know. I have to, but it was really nice. I mean, we because for our daughters, like first time at Disney, like we you know we picked it out. So like in their beds, like they would press a button and that would do like this thing that would look like a star fall coming down the the headboard and stuff like that. It was really cool. And then of course, you know, the whole Disney experience we had planned out ahead of time with a Disney person right so we knew everything that we'd be doing and every so everything was like really really well put together when we were supposed to return to disney in march of 2020 and so we had it booked out and everything and i lost like all of the airfare on that because it was non-refundable and disney shut down because of the pandemic and literally it shut down like a week before we were supposed to go and that's when school of airs was out and my my disney planner i guess i'll call her she had contacted Disney and she said, um, could you do a celebration for Dr. Proden and his new book on school safety and all of that? And they said, yes. So they sent me a letter, which I have somewhere and they were going to recognize us. I don't know if like, we wouldn't have been technically like in a parade, but we would have had um, special magnetic um, things to wear. Like, like right here, my little, my pin, magnetic pins and then we would have had um some more perks on rides i mean this whole thing was like kind of laid out that it would have been basically the trip was a special event to celebrate the publishing of the book like i i mean there were a lot of cool things like i had to throw out the first pitch at a minor league baseball game when the book came out and uh and disney was uh yeah, disney world was was you know going to recognize not like all of disney world like right like i'm not going to make it bigger than that but but it was like a big event and then it never happened. But but yeah, that would have been cool because like uh, we would have gotten a number of perks and especially for my kids and kind of having dad treated like a big shot at Disney would have been kind of a neat thing. But um, but yeah, I don't have any desire to uh, to go back to Disney now. And again, all the quality control stuff I hear from people. And I have friends who live close to Disney who kind of like zip in and out for the day. They're like, nope, <laughs> don't, don't do it, man. Uh, it is if you think you're going to compare it to uh, 2017 when you are here, like it is not going to be the same. And uh, and so yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing because like as my kids get older here, like the the family vacation stuff is 
kind of dwindling like your opportunities for that. Um, and there are just some vacations I also, and some things I, I wouldn't really risk um, because like, what if you get stranded somewhere because of some flight order or, you know, some transportation um, mandate or whatever? Um, I don't know. We've got a, we've got a couple of really nice um, vacations scheduled for the summer. But after that, I, I, it's one of those realizations as you get kind of older here as a dad, right? Like um, I, I think with my oldest daughter who will be 16 in fall, I just, I don't see where she will, we maybe have a year or two window left where she would really be into some, some of the family vacations. Now, what do we do with her if we go on family vacation and not necessarily leave her alone, but um, I just don't know. Um, I could see her stay interested in Disney, you know, for another two, three years, like just because we had been there and maybe to compare and contrast and, you know, Epcot and those types of things. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's weird. It's, it's kind of a weird feeling. Like, I'm so glad I did it when we did. I'm so glad we're down there in 2017 before all of the politics hit Disney, uh, before inflation hit. Right. Um, I, you know, the pandemic stuff, all of that. Like, I'm so glad we were down there before those things happened. We had just beautiful weather when we were down there too. Um, so, I mean, all of those things just kind of, just kind of came together, but yeah, that sucked. Um, but you know, we can it cancel. I still get like Southwest emails me. <laughs> hey, like, do you want to rebook? Not really. So yeah, I've been getting a lot of, I always get, I need to somehow unsubscribe, but Hopefully you get a decent summer doc. Um, I don't have much hope of one, but I'll hold over. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think as far as decent summer, the question is like weather, weather uh, temperatures and things like that, because we vacation up north. And the risk is that it could be cold. Um, so one of the vacations, really, that shouldn't happen. But the earlier vacation could be cold. And then the things that we do, the outside door, the outside stuff, like visit 150-year-old lighthouses and stuff, um, that's not as fun when it's, you know, 60 degrees and misty and windy, right? <laughs> when you're going up to the top of a lighthouse, like, takes away a lot of the appeal of that type of trip. Um, so we've had that a couple times. But, but I mean, we've got enough time in between now and then to, to see how this thing, how this plans out. Plus, like, this will be the first summer with the SUV. Um, so yeah, that we took, we ordered last March and took delivery of in December. And now we've, you know, it's got the whole, uh, moon roof, right? So the big panoramic sunroof to come back and four wheel drive. And, um, so I'm looking forward to taking that, that thing on vacation. Um, I think that's going to be absolutely uh, phenomenal. Um, especially in our first vacation where we, where we get into some areas that get a little, semi off roadsy, but, uh, but I think that's going to be awesome. And then I think our second vacation, I'm going to take my car. Uh, so which my car is like only been driven by me, but, um, I want to pile some miles on that yet. Um, the warranty goes up in January and it's like, uh, what is it? Four years or 50, 40,000 miles or whatever. I only have 20,000 miles on the car. So, it makes sense to kind of use that 
that vehicle for one of the vacations and preserve the miles on the the newer one. But uh, but yeah, um, I'm really looking forward big time to uh, to that trip with with the uh, SUV. So, um, but yeah, and then usually the first vacation, my my we do a lot of mini golf type of stuff and. It's just fun to be out when it's hot, but uh, my youngest daughter loves go-karts. So I will do go-karts with her. And and now she's also gotten to the age where, like, I don't have to be in a go-kart with her. Like, you know, when they're younger, you have to be in the go-kart with them. And um, so now I can, like, do go-karts with her, but then, like, I can just say, like, well, then, and she's fine. Like, she'll be like, I'll go and do the go-karts, and there might be, like, five other people. Like, we don't know, right? She'll be out there go-karting. Um, because like, um, I kind of get like, I know dizzy, like sick after go-karts after, <laughs> like I did this thing where I would like pay the dude, like, I'd be like, Hey, like, can you give us some extra rounds? And he'd be like, sure. And I'd be like, well, after like, you know, being out there for 10 minutes going in a basically kind of a circle, I'm like, I've had enough of this. Um, and you know, she's just soaking it up. But so, yeah, um, I hoped, I hope so too. I think. You know, we've got some potential for some really good things, you know, this this uh, this summer. And, um, yeah, that's where I'm actually glad at this point I didn't I didn't get elected to city council because um, that would have eaten away a number of days in summer for meetings and some things. And and uh, and I really at this point, you know, after this really long, drawn out cold spring, I don't want to um, lose, you know, four to six nights in June, July, August to, uh, meetings. I mean, I just don't want to do that. I mean, I, I used to live that life. I don't want that anymore. So, um, yeah, screw that. <laughs> not that I'm not here for the community, but I didn't get voted in though. And I've got other things I want to do. So, so yeah. Um, so what's ahead of me this week is, um, I am, uh, I will know, I should know by Thursday night, I was nominated for uh, professor of the year. And um, so that's kind of big news. It is big news. And I will know if I receive that by Thursday night. So it's big. In my 18 years with the university, I had, had not previously been nominated. So this is a first. And then, um, I have uh, three meetings um, regarding contract stuff that I might fire up. And my contract stuff is Wisconsin and California. I kind of do those two states because that's where I'm licensed in school administration. Um, so I, I'd like both. The, you know, California kind of messes with your days a little bit, especially in winter when everything gets dark early. And, you know, so if I have a client in California that has a three o'clock meeting, that's five o'clock for me. So it's dark already here, right? Or even like a two o'clock meeting is four, so it starts to get dark. So those are the type of things that really would make the day long because like by the time I get out of meeting, it might be like seven o'clock, even though for them it's like five o'clock, right? So I've got to control that. But that is a huge um, feature of what I do is being licensed across states for the different consulting that I do. Um, so anyway, tomorrow's a big meeting. Um, the next two days are back-to-back -back meetings. I put them all together 
and so I could kind of like weigh my options during the next week or or week to two weeks, and then um, make a decision to first see if, if anybody is interested, which I think they are, um, and then make a decision based on that what I'm going to do. Um, so it's a little weird. Like I don't know if I would be doing this again if the economy was more stable, if world conditions. But there is this like this sense, right, of to kind of bolster up your your positions. And that was one of the things I did during, again, 2020 is, you know, the, the consulting, you know, started that back up and then it just went crazy. But like, cause who knows what was going to happen. And, uh, and, and actually there is a big difference, even though winter down here is really cold in this office. Um, and even though I have my electric fireplace, there's not a lot I can do to kind of warm up down here, but the office is substantially nicer and it's much more easier to do work down here now that there's less things down here. Like I'd probably put a little temporary table up to my left um, when I was doing some consulting that so I could have some things readily available. And and then also, you know, I'm going to upgrade the whole system here to Windows 10 and, and uh, you know, just do some things that are going to, to make the system itself a little bit easier to work with clients. But, uh, but otherwise, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of where things are at. So a uh, Jim Jim McIntosh never returned here. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know. But uh, so anyway, well here's what I'm gonna do, everybody. I appreciate you uh, being here tonight. So we got to learn about Gatlinburg and um, the takeaways from Gatlinburg and the fire there in 2016, Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. A um, couple things: the collapse of physical time how fast that can happen. And even though you have all these indicators, like people saw for two days, the mountain was on fire, but they just expected that somebody would tell them, you know, you have to evacuate, right? You have to be ready. Nobody was was telling them. Well, actually the, the municipalities, the, the agencies were putting it like on their websites and, and as a passive thing. But if you see things, if you sense things, as as they interviewed people afterwards, and people said we didn't think things were right, but we always we thought somebody would tell us if it was really bad. If you sense things aren't right, use that sense and get yourself out of there, or your family. Do whatever you have to do. What's the worst you have to lose, right? Um, you know, forensically looking back on that that um, in twenty sixteen. I mean, if you have a cabin or rent it, and you know, you know, like, well, it's not going to happen. You know, we we're going to have a go somewhere else for two days or something like that. And I mean, yeah, it's weird and all of that stuff. But as you distance yourself from that, if nothing happens, well, then it's just one of those precautions you took. But if something happens, holy smokes, um, trust your gut. And and don't, re- I think, I think there's a, a really important part in that Gatlinburg chapter that still plays out today is all of these municipalities, schools, federal agencies, you know, fire departments, police, whatever, they are uncertain how to communicate news to you, information to you. And I think a lot of them think, oh, we got to be like online. We got to do it through Facebook or you go to our Facebook page, but they don't realize, right, that these systems aren't always going to be reliable. Not everybody's going to be accessing these. And there's this whole other point, right, of um, the collapse of physical time in Gatlinburg. If you're, if you're, Roads are blocked with 75 mile an hour fire driven winds and debris and trees are down. And granted, you couldn't get information, but even if you could get information, what are you going to do at that time? It's too late. So um, don't don't outsource 
that someone is going to tell you. Like, you know, if you sense it, go with that and use your member check network, which I talk a lot about in the book. Your member check network is going to let you know if you're, you know, if your vibe is right. It's like that, that, you know, couple who emailed their, their, uh, yeah, Jim just got taken out by the disinformation. Sorry. So see ya, Jim. Um, but you know, just like that couple that emailed that picture to their son or texted whatever it said, Hey, is this something we should be concerned about? He's like, get out of there. You know, send the firefighter. Um, do not overly rely on people to direct you <laughs> with, to tell you when things are going bad. Right. And there's, there's also, and, th and I think there's two things. One is there's, they try to interact with these systems and they don't understand how fluent people are with Facebook or going to web pages or Instagram. And they, they overestimate these cause they've really never been tested and they're new. And the other thing is like, there's always a delay, right? You, they don't want to over quote unquote overreact because then everybody might evacuate and it was nothing. Right. I mean, it's kind of like a hurricane thing, right? Like if you give so many, there's this Aesop's fable type of philosophy, but yet in the, so that kind of maybe comes into play and, and, and it was one of these, I don't know. I, I look at Gatlinburg though. To me, Gatlinburg was, there were so many warnings ahead of time that the authorities knew about and the, the decreasing humidity and the potential for the winds and stuff. So like that, it, while it happened really fast, it's like that was totally predicted, right? That this could happen. And that fact that the forensic data is out there in the Instagram and things like that um posts that were coming out from municipalities and federal and state and local agencies so um but yeah just it's a, it's a it's a really interesting fast chapter in the book and it's early on and it is specifically written in a style to make you read it fast and kind of make you sense a little bit of the nervousness that like the two brothers, they're kind of like the center part of the story. Like the two brothers where the Ember comes across their property and <laughs> they're out and like, well, what's up with this? Like, this is, this doesn't seem right. And uh, so, yeah. Well, everybody, um, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to take us out with a couple um, promotions here for um, philosophy of information and school of airs. If you haven't read, if you haven't reviewed those, please do so. If you would be willing to take five minutes of your time for your local library and email them and say, I'm a patron, I live here, I'm in town, um, please buy School of Airs, please buy the Velocity of Information. Uh, these are important, essential books. They're you know in libraries across the country. They should be here. If it's here, I would come in and check it out. Um, people, uh, libraries buy books that way. That is that is like an 80 to 90% chance of getting your uh, library to buy the book is to go in and say, here, like, this is a book I would, I would take out of the, I would, you know, I would read it here or right with my library card and check it out. Um, libraries will buy it if you do that. And especially this book, right? Because it's nonfiction, traditional publisher, it's already in a lot of libraries, both books. Um, but yeah the uh, velocity of information and, and uh, school of airs. So that helps me out a lot. If you take the time 
to do that, which literally is right. Five minutes, right? You log into your library and you find like the email for library contact library. And you're like, hi, I am bacon Maldito. And I know I've, I know this author I've, I've, you know, read excerpts from both of these books. Um, I know they're in other libraries and we should have these in our library. If they were here, I would come in and read them. Thank you very much. Here's a link. Boom. On Amazon to the books. Um, 80 to 90% of the time that will result in the book being purchased for that library. It is unbelievably high correlation of how effective that is, especially if you're bacon. So, all right, let me go over here to, uh, Hey, Jim, Jim is, uh, Jim is back. Let's see what he posted over here. Some thrift books. The Mothers, The matriarch, Matriarchal Theory of Social Origins. Holy smoke. It's temporarily unavailable. And Jim, 10 people are interested in this title. And Jim, we receive fewer than one copy every six months. So, um, let's just uh, check this out here. Jim has put us on a crazy hunt for this book. So I appreciate it now. So looking over here, Jim, the mother's, so maybe like on eBay or something, if you could find this, but, um, but over here on the right here, it says temporarily unavailable. 10 people are interested in this title. We receive fewer than one copy every six months. So this is like a, this is, this is um, going into the ring. This is a full out battle for this book. If one becomes available, the uh, the Rocky music plays. I mean, we we are we are talking um, Thunderdome here, released in uh, 1993, 451 pages. So, the question, Jim, is uh, can we get a hold of this by Robert Berfault? Can we get a hold of this book? So, fortunately, PDF got waxed. Oh, okay. So there was a PDF at one time. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, every once, every once in a while, I find like a bootleg copy of one of my books. Well, it's really not my current book, but it's the uh, School of Errors will show up, and the publisher will take care of that, right? And also, like, um, I learned with audiobooks, like, because um, Find a Way Voices is my distributor for both audiobooks. Like, they're on top of that, so you know, enforcing copyright, which is nice, but it's too bad on this that the PDF is gone, so. Um, my neighbor brought me over a book called Factfulness and said I would like it. And I haven't, I kind of checked it out. Um, uh, I think the whole, the whole premise of the book is nonfiction is like how, how things are better today than they were in the past. So, but I would only read it like if I was at the library. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read it here. I appreciate it. Like I'm, gl I'm glad like they had read it first. But I'm like, you know, it's audiobooks. So, yeah, PDF got waxed. So, correct book, wrong author. What's that? Oh, yeah, Bacon. And I think I've got your email somewhere too, but let me, I'll get in contact with you. So, um, no problems there, buddy. 
It's worse than it's worse than Ace Dad Jim. Dad Jim, it's worse than Ace Dad Jim. We come in peace. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. We come in peace. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill, Jim. God, Doctor Demento. So sorry, uh, I know the song, man. Star trekking across the universe, Inglewood, California. Uh, Inglewood, California is where we go first. Star trekking across the universe. Where we go second? Maybe we'd find Nick Shulaner. Red five going in. <laughs> oh my god. So. Yeah, that is that is hilarious. That's hilarious. Let's do a let's do a little preemptive check here uh, from the university to see if they. I'm surprised they're they're holding pretty tight here on the university on the uh, professor of the year thing. Because um, I was trying to find you know trying to find out ahead of time because obviously I'm a finalist, but can you tip your hat? Nope, nope, they didn't. So. I get it, but so, um, yeah, there were a couple, couple books. God, I've got so many books like, and trying to price out an audiobook is really a tricky venture. Also like a compare contrast. And obviously the book I narrated, I'm going to not charge as much. Um, but, uh, you know, the book that Ben, Narrate it will be more, but little the audiobook will be the least expensive um, option by far for both of the books. I mean, they'll be under $20 um, for the audio versions, you know, professionally rendered. So um, that was incredible on coin operated vector graphics machine way back in the day. Yeah, no kidding. I'm glad I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I'm just so thankful. <laughs> Before, I'm glad I coached. Um, I coached middle school basketball for five years, I think. And when I started, I was 15 years old. And the uh, the team would they didn't have a coach, and so like things were pretty desperate. Like you know, so I, I took on coaching, and my parents had to drive me like to the games, like they'd be in other cities until I got my license. But um, but that was one of the I coached from 85 to 2000 maybe and was it 85 to 2000 i think it was because i still coached when i was attending college which is in the town next to me but we won the league championship in nine no 92 we won the league championship and then also the tournament championship it was a big deal back then we we're like 18 and 5 something like that but uh but uh you know, you never had kid when kids were done with practice, they went to the payphone in the school and they called their parents and said, Hey, pick me up if the parents weren't already there. You didn't have cell phones. Nobody had nobody had a cell phone back in back then. So uh the kids weren't running, you know, to those and and so like you just you you didn't have these outer uh interferences, right? Like kids could focus on the games, parents could focus on you know, the, the game, you know, like into recording game was a big deal. Like, you know, you'd have to have this big over the shoulder camcorder type deal, you know, to a big VHS tape to record. So there was a real genuine aspect. You weren't competing for people's attention or players attention back then. I think, and I'm glad I did it when I did. 
I think it would be so much different today. There's a lot of things, like I'm glad I did them at the time of life that I did them, right? Like I think coaching today would be different. I think writing books today would be different. I think politically, like correct in the challenge of marketing and books would be even much different than just the last three, four years. Um, there's just a, going to Disney, like I'm glad to do that in 2017. There's just a lot of things I'm kind of glad. Getting firefighter trained when I was in the 90s. Like I think there's things that kind of matched really well. But uh, firehouse restaurants contribute to local PD or to local fire department. Gotcha. This spring failed to launch. Yeah, this spring this spring just was just sucked. I had a friend. His mom um, lives in Florida, and she came up and and uh, she left her dog with him for two or three weeks, and she went somewhere else. And then she'd be back to pick this dog up. So this dog was used to being outside in Florida, sunny. So this dog is up in Wisconsin, and my friend was like, "This dog was just so depressed. Like you could just see it in the 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 dog didn't want to do anything. The dog would look outside and see like snow coming down, and you know, you take the dog outside, and the dog would be like, "This sucks. Like I'm used to eighty degrees and sunny. Like this is miserable." And it, it just felt so. He felt so bad for that. Doc, go to Cedar Point more human scale. Cedar Point. All right. What? Tell me what I don't get. What do you mean? I'm interested, Jim. I just, what do you mean? Cedar Point. Sandusky, Ohio. Isn't that where Callahan Auto Parts is located with uh, Tommy Callahan? They make brake pads. So in Sandusky, Ohio, Cedar Point, more human scale. I don't, help me out with that one. Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah. By the way, Tommy Boy was a great movie. And, uh, and Chris Farley grew up about 40 minutes away from where I live right now. And when he was in high school, he played football a couple, he played two away games at the football field, two blocks from my house. So, um, you know, back then, right. It was Chris Farley on a high school football team, but, uh, but yeah, Chris, uh, Chris's parents live about 40 minutes away from where I'm at. Doc was robbed. What do you, yeah, what I was robbed with. This is the first April I didn't bike. There, I mean, there were uh, maybe three days that could have been bikeable, right? But like, I didn't bike in April. Um, I had my bike ready, but it was really sucks. So now, and the thing is like with biking, distance biking, like you, you know, I will do a hundred mile ride a couple times a year, but now I'm off. Like I'll have to do, you do, I start with 40 mile rides and then I work up and, you know, progressively. And then, I, you know, there's not a big difference between like a 75 mile and a hundred mile ride, but, um, but it just throws me off. Like I probably won't do a hundred mile ride until July now where I probably would have, I don't know. The whole thing is just screwed. So, um, Jim McIntosh, isn't that a sub shop? I used to get advertising for them. It is a sub shop. Airline fare, ganked. Oh. All right. All right. Jim, what is this? I still get this one. Go to Cedar Point, more human scale. I'm missing that one. 
it's a sit-down restaurant here. So, oh, you're saying it's a restaurant? Okay. Well, I know Firehouse Subs is a restaurant. By the way, I've figured out about two times a week for lunch, I will go to our local festival foods. They have a deli and for and they everything's by weight, which is it's kind of interesting because you could load up on like um, chicken tenders and they weigh less than mashed potatoes. <laughs> so like you could have a big container of chicken tenders, it might be like eleven bucks. But if you like throw some mashed potatoes in there, then it's like fourteen. But um, but yeah, so deli's really reasonable. Like I can come out of there for like twelve bucks with a really like I probably don't even need supper that night. Um, so that's something I just I just kind of identified, and um, so I'm pretty happy pretty happy with that. Yeah, that we have a that's been there. I just I'd never really paid much attention to it. Like we have a really nice festival foods and again, the deli, but the hot bar all goes by weight. So, you know, for about 12 bucks, I can set myself up for basically like two meals out of that. So cool. All right. Well, I have a, uh, I have a meeting tomorrow. So first of three in a row, starting the consulting up again, it's kind of a cringe a little bit. I don't say that because I don't like the consulting and all that. It's just, it's a, it's like, you know, it's, the reason it's happening is because it's a response to the world situation. So the response to the economy is everything else. Like it's completely, things have become so unstable. It's a hedge against that. Right. Which, you know, like if you, if you retired in, 20, oh, 2007 or 2015 or whatever, and you're drawing from your 401k or whatever, your living expenses in the market is going down and you're not cost averaging with capital gains or dividends or stuff. Like you've, it's gotta be pretty, pretty freaky, pretty horrifying to look at your statements. I mean, and, and be like, I'm taking money out while I'm down 20% or something. Like that. It's, it's not my situation, but um, you know, but again, I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I guess I think I gotta, I gotta fire up the, the consulting because I, I just am so unnerved by what's happening with the economy. So like I bonds right now are paying 9.62% inflation rate, which is crazy. So, you know, I'm really just, I'm, I'm looking at this as a pure formula play of like, I just, I'm, I'm going to kind of match how much I'm willing to work to what inflation is to try to just make up that gap, which who would have thought, you know, like we'd be looking at 20, 30% inflation, but that's kind of what I'm doing now. Um, Jim's saying there's a great go-kart place near the pier. Got the governor's just right there, right, right at the edge of breaking side of his grip. Whoa. Yeah, this go-kart track is pretty tame um, where we go. It's nothing really wild, which is nice. Um, the bacon, bacon to gym, never been to one, so I don't know. I'll check it out if you're couching for them. So, yeah, mini golf is kind of like the, 
big thing we do on our vacations and then uh, we you know or go out on like boat trips or something like that and um, it's fun right it's just it's fun with the for the kids uh, to do some of these things and so but it it's so weather dependent in this part of the country right you usually it works in your favor usually in June to July August not always but usually but you know where again um, you know you're a warmer weather climate you just got more opportunities for you this is Jim hey check out bacon uh, check out restaurant.com is there a place nearby you like their food the gift certificates are very good discount it's cool so we also have a Johnsonville Brat Hut, which is outside of our festival, which opens up in summer. And then you know it's Johnsonville Brat, so you got a certain threshold of quality of brat. So I've been waiting for that too. So big time. So all right, I've uh, you guys are awesome, Jim. Uh, uh, Jim Bacon, and let's see who else we've we've got here. Um, hey, we still have, uh, we have solitude, so you guys are great. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, contact me. The information is pretty easy to find. Uh, actually, it's right here. Um, if you're interested in reviewing either of my two books, and we'll work something out. Oh, my goodness, it's Robert been hiding here with zero white oil has been changing oil the whole time he's changed oil on seven vehicles since the show's been going on he's listening he's just doing a piece out appreciate you buddy and uh yeah thank you very much um and uh yeah so i'm gonna run us out and if you guys want to listen to past shows it always helps out the uh the analytics here we're we're getting closer to where we can monetize. I don't know what that'll really mean, but it is, I, I think, for the algorithm. One of the things I've noticed is because now I've been tying these shows in with the velocity of information, the shows show up in Google searches and are not that they get a lot of views, but the shows are showing up a lot in the SEO. And by the way, like the velocity of information, before I bail and Tell everybody I'm bailing here, but jeez, uh, type very poorly. Um, oh, whoa! Here we go. Um, here we go. Let's let's do this. The uh, what? Stop. So the what? Okay. So the velocity of information, it's kind of weird. My middle, when my middle initial doesn't show up, it kind of skews things because there's another David Proden, um, but there are actually a couple of us, but um, the velocity of information when that came out and was released on May 11th, it was in the Porterville record recorder. It was in the Pawtucket Times. It was on WTVA TV in Tupelo, Missouri. Let's check where else it was. Um, the Meridian Star, the Idaho Press, the Clay Dispatch Center. So you really poor job here. The Derrick, the Herald Bulletin, 
Washington Times Herald, the Herald Chronicle, the Titusville Herald. All right. The Manchester Times, the Register Herald, Longview News Journal, Crossville Chronicle, Maryville Forum, Chronicle Tribune, the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, Kentucky New Era, Send the Press, Frankfurt State Journal. And don't forget that it was, but here's some other stuff. So like it hit in a lot, it got a lot of media coverage here, right? So where's this one? The Herald, Manchester. I don't think it made the Inglewood Star, but right here. So this was TV. This is WTVA and WLOV, Fox, who covered it, right? So this... So it was pretty cool, man. Like this was this was big time. So the show like just hit from all over the place, um, or not the but the the book. So, like when you do a Google search for me or for the book, it's really heavy saturated through the through the media. So that's kind of a good thing. What the hell's going on over here? Jeez. Um. This is to, from Bacon to Jim. Just check. There's a few scattered along the I-5 here. What isn't too far from me where I live. Not sure why I was getting ads from them, but I used to live not exactly nearby. We have an Arby's close by. I made the news. Yeah, no, it was all over. Um, it was, yeah, when Philosophy of Information came out, it was picked up by a lot of um, a lot of media. I mean, it was, it was making... Well, I mean, because, right, it came out as an AP release, and it was after the elections, and then, you know, so you, some media just, you know, they pull it in, right? It's a story. And so when you, look, when you look at that, and I start to see where it was, it's pretty cool. And, you know, that drives sales and um, drives SEO, but so it's really through. It, it's really cool. You cannot change the laws of physics. You cannot change the laws of physics, Captain. So... Star Trek and across the universe. Oh, jeez. Let's get at that off there. So there were so many good songs back then. Dr. Demento. Um, so, all right. Um, appreciate all you guys. I don't know what I'm going to do next Monday for a show. I've, I've kind of sketched out like the next four topics that I want to do. They're all related to the book. Um, and then I think I'm going to get up that, uh, commercial sample of the book, which is three minutes, 26 seconds soon. I don't know where I'm going to park that. I don't know if I should put it on my website or probably, I should probably just upload it to, uh, to YouTube and, uh, and link it out. Um, so I already have the artwork. Like I said, the, the artwork for both books had to be different than the actual book covers because of the book covers are copyrighted and the audiobooks ex didn't extend off of that. So they, they had to have different but similar covers, which is all done and taken care of. And anyway, I learned a lot. It's all good. So let's do, uh, do some outs here. So I appreciate all you guys. And uh, I'm going to start taking us on the, uh, taking us on the outs here. So, uh, all right. So hang with me through the outs. All right. Have a good night, everybody. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident? 
and what should people do to protect themselves. Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The velocity of information will teach you how people have done it in history, in the modern day, and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy the Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David P. Perodin teaches you how to prevent mental burnout by observing indicators and building a robust member check network. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information will empower its readers. Drawing on current events, history, interviews, and scholarship, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change in this fast-spinning world. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. Hi everybody, this is the Safety Doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay-home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to my Bellevue portal and then to report gatherings. They've made it convenient. There's a map on the right. You can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's gonna be more prevalent. Look for it in your area, probably in the next week or two. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning? And so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter, but that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis. And so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that. 